down the old hole pod like a hole that is with your three guides and explorers that uh go deep into that cave and what we come out with is up to you um in years past we have talked about nine inch nails and david bowie but in season three instead of going into just one artist we're now going uh, Russian roulette style into some of our favorite artists, bands, and albums. So if you think this podcast only talks about Trent Reznor, well, you have got another thing coming. Um, because tonight we are hell-bent for leather and we want to be your turbo lovers. Because tonight we're going to be talking about the classic, the godfathers of metal. That would be Judas Priest. Fronted by Rob Halford, the man with the pipes and the man with the leather pants. Um, who brought forth this this band that we're going to be talking about tonight? Well, none other than Stephen Earl. Stephen, say hello to your fine fellow fans. Hello, everyone. I'd like you to know that we're all wearing leather pants tonight. Um, and I even have my little biker's hat on. Uh, I did look like I'm... Uh, at that uh, Blue Oyster bar that's in the Police Academy movies, but I think I'm pulling it off. Anybody that that wears the biker hat, 10 times out of 10, you don't want to mock their biker hat because usually if you're bold (laughs) enough to pull that off, they could probably punch you right in the face. Sure. Yeah, you betcha. But uh, that's not all. Who else do we have on the ones and twos back there? Um, Eric Monroe. Eric, tell us, and um, did you uh, grow back your mustache? I did. Uh, all I mean is uh, with Judas Priest, it's so, it's so, uh, you can't help but get caught up in the swagger of it. So, yes, I'm excited. Uh, so, I am Mark, that's Eric, and of course, Stephen, um, and we are Pod Like a Whole, and tonight we are going to present Judas Priest's uh, I don't know which album this was, their third or fourth, but uh, Stephen will tell you all about it. But we're going to be talking about the stained class. Even even the album title is fun to say. It is. It is. It's uh, if you if you uh, understand the the where it's coming from, stained glass is I think where they're what they're referencing. If um, 
for those that need to just skip going to Wikipedia, I think I can just share that tidbit of info. Which I called it stained glass when I asked Alexa to play it the first like 10 times I listened to it. And every time she said playing stained class. And I was like, no, until I looked it up and I was wrong. Like once again, the AI is smarter than me. Oh boy. That's another Eric running through a screen door. That's, uh, that's Ericism, folks. Um, that's, how, but, that's how you stay an intern forever. <laughs> but before we get into the uh, the meat of the episode and the uh, the potatoes on the side, um, I figure it's time to do a little housekeeping. Um, do we have anything on the, the newswire, either the Bowie Bulletins, the Nine Inch News, um, any other artists that we've seemed to stumble and trip over this season, Any anything that's uh, worthy of the people? Yes, we have uh, three news items, and after that, there will be an administrative point of order. First, news item. Now, we haven't talked about anything uh, Mike Patton yet, but we've talked about Mike Patton plenty. And uh, Tomahawk released a new album yesterday. Their first in eight years. Tomahawk are friends of the show. I have not listened to it all the way through, but I did put it on all the way through, if you know what I mean. Sure. Mark, Mark, did you listen to it? Listen to it twice over. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a good album. It definitely fits that Tomahawk sound. Um, got the uh, kind of guitar twangy uh, of Dwayne Dennison and uh, Mike Patton doing his Mike Patton things. And I think Trevor Dunn is playing bass for him now, um, but mm-hmm. he manages to sound just like he had been in the band from the very beginning. Um, it's pretty good. It's uh, I, it's not cracking my my top album of theirs, but I I still think it's a solid entry into their catalog. Yeah. They're a solid band. Solid is the word for Tomahawk. And you also got you got John Stainer on drums there from a Helmet and Battles. There you go. And- and if COVID completely dies out this fall, uh, Helmet will be touring with Ministry and Frontline Assembly. We'll see if that actually happens. Other news. Hey, other news. N- Nurgle news. Uh, N- Nurgle. Somebody, somebody's put out a documentary about Nurgle. It's called Adam the Apostate. Is that how you pronounce that, Eric? Is it Apostate? I, I like how you say it. How do you say it? That way. Okay. And uh, it looks to be about 90 minutes of Nurgle sitting there and talking about Nurgle things. I'm sure he ruminates about the forest, about the uh, the Polish church holding him down, and uh, growing up in a very cold place. Garfield sending him to Abu Dhabi? <laughs> exactly. Probably talks about getting haircuts, too. So uh, good, good for Nurgle from the band Behemoth, who we recently discussed. 
And also, <laughs> such a delayed laugh on Mark's Garfield joke. God, <laughs> I love it. All right, sorry. Finally, the uh, something Eric sent to me that I haven't listened to yet. It's uh, the the Killing Joke and Peter Hook put an album out like forty years ago, and they just released it. What is this, Eric? Everybody feels pain sometimes. There's always someone that you leave behind And when the moments that you shared have gone And the journey that's ahead seems long And I cry for remembrance day The evening sun Yeah, so it's it's hard. I, the 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 group the project is technically called K Division ninety three, and it's uh, it's that sounds like a printer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it was recorded in nineteen ninety three. It was a one off session with Peter Hook from Joy Division, Jazz Coleman, lead singer of Killing Joke, of course, and um, uh, the uh, their guitarist from Killing Joke, which the name is not right in front of me, like an asshole. But anyways, uh, so it's basically Killing Joke and Joy Division with basses instead of instead of uh, Dear Youth, it's uh, uh, it's Peter Hook and it's it's uh, really fun. It's only three songs. Um, jazz is first is kind of the first time he's really experimenting with those uh, those really grizzled vocals. He would come to uh, to kind of master on that the the clown the uh, the, the Killing Joke uh, two thousand album, but. Um, yeah, it's fun and it's it's kind of like it's synthy and but it but it's got like that Peter Hook driving bassline to it um, that just kind of chugs along and makes you feel like you're listening to uh, you know some some post punk meets new wave with uh, Killing Joke. It's it's great. Check it out. There you go. Um, so Eric recommends. Good stuff. Um, and then uh, Steve, point of order. I think the floor is yours. Uh, I, I yield the floor. Point of order. Uh, if you'll remember in our last episode, we discussed how we were going to talk about the Murder City Devils EP, The Lima. Well, time has gotten the best of us, so the extent at which we're going to discuss it is right now.
Dilemma by the Murder City Devils. It is the Murder City Devils album that I would give a five out of five. That is all I wanted to say. And uh, I will agree with that. Um, we had planned on recording a uh, little little bonus B side. In fact, uh, uh, then life caught up with us. You know, world men. In in terms of, I mean, we're halfway to the grave at this point. Um, and so, uh, the time had passed. Uh, you know, it was time to move on, keep that wagon train moving. Um, couple things about Thelema. It is a 5 out of 5 EP. There's no question about that. Um, it has some classics such as Bear Away, Midnight Service, the Mutter Museum, and not to mention they covered um, a song by the Yuletide Wranglers called 364 Days. Or I can't remember if it was the other way around, but I'm pretty sure the Yuletide Wranglers had um, had that on there. Um, Unfortunately, the Yuletide Wranglers never made a cent off that goddamn song, but yes. So uh, <laughs> we get for giving it away to the the uh, Creative Commons, damn it! Yes. Yeah. So get, get, either way, it's a, it's a hell of a song. It's a classic song. It should be in the when I think of when I think of Christmas songs. It's right up there with the the the, the best of them, uh, the, the Blue Christmas and the uh, fucking uh, that song by Wham. Those are all as good as each other. And who could ever forget the Do They Know It's Christmas, which is you know a uh, one hell of a we are the world type of sing-along right that's that's the one um sure is. but yeah uh Thelema, good stuff five Thelema. out of five and we're gonna just uh say go go check it out eric what, what are your thoughts well, i was on gonna Thelema? say is that was the first one that i heard by that by murder city devils um if you liked our episode on a name and blood but you wanted just mainline their general their general sound into your your system fast and quick the lima is the way to go it also is their first time expanding into more kind of um, uh, more emotive instrumentation and uh, to uh, stellar effect. So um, it's a it's a good EP. It's very good. I always thought that the uh, song "Bear Away" was about just um, a sea captain, um, but then when I actually read the lyrics, it's about. Um, the ship that Dracula sailed in on, uh, the Vesta. And uh, for whatever reason, I never put two and two together until I went to a website that really spelled it out for me. So great song. That's one of my favorites, but uh, it's about Dracula's boat. That album has some really good gothic lyrics. Darkness, the elephant man, Dracula's boat. Bear away, though, uh, much like the song... um, What's that song that I like off that single, Eric? Oh, uh, Every Day I Rise. Every Day Jinx. I Rise. Yeah. yeah, Every Day I Rise and Bear Away. Even though Bear Away is about Dracula's ship, uh, for some reason, both It and Every Day I Rise are both songs that I just like uh, think about when I'm like, all right, gotta fucking wake up and do another day's worth of shit in life. Like they really, uh, they both portray that endless, you know, every day is exactly the same feel to me. You betcha. Yeah, that's kind of why I thought Bear Away was about just having to deal with the mundaneness of life and just, all right, let's get this fucking day over with. Um, but then, you know, it's about the Vesta has landed. Um, there you go. So, Thelema, check it out. Murder City Devils, you can't go wrong. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode where we talked about A Name in Blood, but 
Um, I've got a, ran I've, out of time. I've, I've got an idea, guys. Our new approach should be what we just did. For every album, it's just going to be a five-minute podcast. It's just that, <laughs> what we just did right there. Business Wars Daily. It's yeah. uh, <laughs> like a whole daily. We're going to expand to talk about like 800 more records, and we're just going to do <laughs> two a week, five-minute blasts, <laughs> just like that. That's how we're going to get to some real good stuff, like you know, Steely Dan and uh, Foreigner. That'll be great. Speaking of Steely Dan, how about that Suicide Squad trailer? Uh, uh, Well, we don't need to actually really talk about that, but the Snyderverse was unleashed, and I think that's why the Thelema episode didn't happen. Um, So uh, there you go. Yes, yes, dear listeners. uh, Two of us, maybe all three of us, I can't remember, spent last weekend watching all like 13 hours of the Snyderverse. I know I did. I started Thursday night. I did too. I I did too. I started Thursday night and I ended like Sunday at 1 a.m. Yep. yep. No, Monday at 1 a.m. for me. <laughs> uh, that might be why we didn't give that episode. So we all agreed, though. Uh, <laughs> I, do you know what? I thought that Man of Steel was about as good as I remembered, which wasn't bad. Uh, Batman versus Superman was better than I heard. I never watched it before all the way through when I finally did. And I was like, this isn't as bad as everybody says. And the whole four hour movie. Well, sure, it's a little bloated, but I actually admired the balls in the whole thing. So, yeah, yeah. you bet. Uh, so you bet. I do think that uh, we should release the Branstead cut of the Murder City Devils episode, where you just put the beginning of this episode onto the end of that episode, and make it a good three. And somehow Jared Leto also appears yeah, and, in that too. And and give it a good three hours and end with uh, we're in a society and boom. You got yourself a T-shirt. I mean, that's just printing money right there. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, but uh, cooler heads, man. But instead, uh, Rob Halford is going to um, strap us onto his back of his hog, and uh, we're going to go ahead and ride that turbo lever into the uh, into the British steel, um, into the stained class. And to do that, Stephen, um, I believe uh, you're riding lead chopper on this one. Myself and Rob joined Judas Priest. It crossed our minds: Do we want to be called Judas Priest? Um, and to be honest with you, I don't think we did because the implications were that we would be joining this terrible, terrible band that we'd seen at the College of Food in Birmingham. We hadn't got to that stage of thinking about a name. So consequently, because the tour was booked, the name Judas Priest lived on. And from what I could gather, that. The original band had chosen the name in as much as they'd heard the name Judas Priest in a line of a Bob Dylan song. 
in for surprise. You're in for a shock. In London town streets, when there's darkness and fun. When you least expect me, and you turn your back, I'll attack. Very excited to talk about this record tonight. Judas Priest is a, uh, they are a cornerstone of metal, if not one of the main pillars, if not the main pillar. Depends on who you ask. Some people are going to say Black Sabbath. Some people are going to say Judas Priest. And uh, I think when you get right down to it, yeah, Black Sabbath was there first and they were heavy and they were metal. But when I think of uh, the band that ended up mutating and influencing bands that would play faster, play harder, play more intricate, intricate, intricate. Uh, Jews priests are the, the, the ones I believe they, the forefathers of just metal that went into speed metal, into the new wave of British heavy metal, into thrash metal, into all those, the uh, epic or extreme metal genres we went into. I think you can tra- track them all back to Priest, I tell you. And I'm glad we're talking about this tonight. Uh, Eric and Mark, you know, obviously, we all know of Judas Priest. They're not underground at all. They were known before we were born. And as kids, I'm sure we even heard some of the radio hits. Eric, what what was your history with Judas Priest, if any? I know you had some. I mean, you heard Breaking the Law once or twice, right? Yeah, I was going to say, my my introduction was uh, Beavis and Butthead driving around on uh, riding mowers, uh, shouting, breaking the law. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, always knew that they would be a band to respect based on people I knew that liked, that liked metal, that enjoyed them, um, mostly namely you. Um, but uh, yeah, I think... Other than just suddenly, like, just becoming familiar with some of their big hits over the years and always appreciating them and knowing Rob Halford's um, just whole, uh, ro- like, uh, you know, like, just rock star persona and really loving kind of his whole story. Um, uh, I I think I uh, did a couple uh, greatest hits deep dives and threw, threw some uh, of the songs I like the most on, you know, my iTunes. And other than that... So I guess that's pretty surface level. Um, this is my first uh, uh, start to finish uh, album deep dive. So um, it's I've always respected and liked their sound. Um, their sound is not something I'm necessarily gonna. Uh, I had necessarily like seeked out unless I was in a particular mood. But if you uh, you know if a song came on in a bar, there's no way you're not 
pulling your your jeans up and stomping that that foot on that bar stool until it's over. It's uh, it's uh, it's magical. Pulling your jeans up. That's right. That's right. You gotta gotta pull them up so you can do that rock stomp. You know what I'm talking about. I've seen you do yes, it. I do. I've seen you do it before, sir. Yes. Yes. Uh, Judas Priest and bars go hand in hand. We'll get to that in a in a minute. Uh, Mark, uh, how about you? Uh, so my introduction to Judas Priest came through you, which is of no surprise. Um, when I first started actually kind of ex- getting into music and really exploring and discovering some of these bands that were influential to the bands of today, essentially, um, I didn't really consider Judas Priest in uh, all seriousness. It was more along the lines of Black Sabbath and uh, Iron Maiden. Um and of course, then you're kind of more for me getting into the early 80s of uh, thrash metal with Metallica, Megadeth, and things like that. And it's not to say that I thought Judas Priest weren't good, because um, I had heard kind of the same breaking the law, you got another thing coming. Um, Rob Halford always, to me, looked like the vulture from Spider-Man. And um, I, I just... Not to say I didn't take him seriously, but uh, some of the videos that I did see on Beavis and Butthead, like Turbo Lover, um, really catchy, um, certainly had credibility, but it just wasn't for me. And this is was my first like foray, really giving them the full treatment of exploring, analyzing, and really breaking it down. Um, not to say that I thought they were like exhausting. I just. I didn't know if I necessarily really liked that type of metal, like groove based um, guitar with really operatic singing Um, because there was another band on Beavis and Butthead that they did kind of make fun of was Grim Reaper. Um, I'll see you in hell. And on this album, you definitely see Rob Halford kind of hit those high highs that the lead singer of Grim Reaper. I'll see you in hell, my friend. Um, That is kind of parodied. Uh, in today's when you're talking about metal from the early ages and how it then like spawned Motley Crue, uh, Poison, those type of bands, hair metal bands, if you will. But um, after sinking my teeth into this record, I clearly was sleeping on this band hardcore. I'm not to spoil my review later, but um, I thoroughly enjoyed this, thoroughly enjoyed this record. And um, it'll be great to discuss like uh, about each of the individual individual tracks. And I'm looking forward to actually going a little further into studies of Judas Priest. But yeah, real, real surface level. I was aware of them, but I didn't necessarily think that they were as influential as some of their contemporaries like uh, Black Sabbath and um, Iron Maiden, just to name two. Yeah, I, uh, to your point about the uh, the falsettos, I, I think like anything else, I think that like bands like Grim Reaper or Motley Crue, I mean, Motley Crue does actually they have their moments, but uh, not when it comes to Vince Neil's vocals. 
I, I think that like the, the the butt rock scene, if you will, and I have, don't ask me to describe butt rock, the glam rock, well, the you know the L.A. <clears throat> 80s uh, glam stuff, that falsetto it, it is almost it was almost like a parody. And when you go back and you hear how somebody like Rob Halford or Ronnie James Dio could hit some notes too, obviously the way they did it was actually trying to sing. I I liken it almost to maybe a um a really flashy guitar player that doesn't know how to play a groove but can play a thousand notes per minute and that gets boring. Or maybe also like when people do this uh the um the national anthem and they do that part where they like try to hit like fifty five notes because one time uh you know uh goddamn sort of uh, the bodyguard. Uh, Whitney, Whitney Houston, Houston yeah, yeah. Whitney Houston did a great job. Whitney Houston did a great job of that in 1992, and then people keep trying to do the same thing, and they miss the whole point. So I, I, I think there's some of that going on there. Um, to uh, my Judas Priest history, yes, I actually think I, I'm sure that when I was littler, I heard "Living After Midnight" or "Breaking the Law" or "You Got Another Thing Coming." I know I did. I probably saw the videos. Now, the first video I do remember is uh, the Turbo Lover video. And I didn't realize how cheesy that video was until I was older. It's got uh, all these after effects that are from like 1988 of a like a pinkish gray sky with people riding the motorcycle through the desert. And there's like a claymation skeleton doing circles. It's uh, kind of ridiculous. And that's definitely from their synth, fa- synth era. But uh, I actually am a big fan of the song Turbo Lover. started thinking about them i never dove into a full album until i was older probably into my my 20s uh, somehow when i got into all things metal in my late teens i didn't sit down with jews priest and really tear into them and uh sometime in my 20s uh in bet- is when i moved to san francisco in between working with uh, an, a buddy of mine named Kayvon 
who got me into the album Painkiller. And then when I, I, I moved into the uh, loft with my buddy Rob, and we listened to uh, Sin After Sin and um, Sad Wings of Destiny over and over again. Those three records were in heavy rotation for me in the, like when I was like 28. And I just, I was like, this is it. This is the truth. to a lot of their albums often saw them live that year saw them live a couple years later and uh yeah i've been been a super fan ever since so but just like you guys i wasn't a, even i didn't even realize the the power they really had when i was younger because i think i think our generation kind of missed out we were born in 1980 to 1981 so we were too little when they were really big to understand why they were like early 80s was them. They were they were selling out arenas in the early 80s. We weren't getting that. Then when we were of age, I mean, uh, Rob Halford left the band to start fight. And then after fight, he uh, went and did two. And I'd say that when two came out, we probably thought more about Judas Priest than we ever did in our whole lives because he was on Trent Reznor's label. But we weren't listening to Jesus, Judas Priest. We were listening to the album, too.
that's probably when I I think I probably read an article, noticed nothing records, and kind of learned more about Rob's backstory and and life and um, you know just kind of new, unique place in being a, a, a gay frontman for a metal band, um, and uh, that that's definitely when I was like, oh, that's interesting. And of course, you know, I'm a pig is a, is a, is an absolute banger. We all know that. Oh yeah. Yes. Very, very memorable album. Water's leaking guys. (laughs) (laughs) We, we covered how uh, half the song titles sound like something you, an old man yells when he's alone in his house. (laughs) Uh, It's it's appropriate because half of the Jewish priest album titles, song titles and album covers, uh, once you, once Rob came out of the closet, I don't think a lot of people were shocked. I think it was always something people kind of were like, oh yeah, I get it. You know, not a big deal. And no one's hugely surprised. If you go back though, through their, their discography, he was, he, he was, you know, alluding to it quite a bit. I think, I don't think he was like screaming to, uh, you know, Hey, look at me. I am, uh, I am actually a homosexual in this metal band. Yeah, I, I I think that was actually great that, you know, when he did come out, I don't think it was a big deal. I don't think they lost a lot of uh, like fandom. I don't think it affected them at all, really. Yeah, honestly, I can't think of any backlash that occurred to that when he officially came out of the closet because apparently fans and the rest of the band members had always their suspicions, but there was like, well, the music's fucking awesome. Who cares? So. Yeah, and that's how it should be. It also should just be who yeah. cares, even if the music was terrible. Yeah, but and, uh, unfortunately, well, of course. But I mean, we're talking yeah. about like where people were jumping at shadows back then. I yep. mean, in the eighties, the AIDS epidemic almost made uh, it was horrible. There was uh, like an un like really talked about genocide happening in that community, and it was not great. And um, good lord, I mean, when we were all growing up, man. <clears throat> saying things like oh that's so gay and calling people the f word was like high insult and i'm really hoping that in this day and age that that's not the case anymore in schools or with youth um but yeah i during that time like if you were considered gay um it was something that you still had to be in the closet like which is baffling that in our lifetime that was still happening you know Well, you say, it was, um, yeah, you said it was a genocide. Yeah. And like you have Reagan and then, and then HW Bush who literally wouldn't address it, um, except saying it's their disease. Um, hence right, people staying right. in the closet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fucked up. Yeah. You know, I guess a testament to, I don't know, I, I suppose the metal community, uh, factions of it are pretty accepting. Uh, there there's, you know, there's a, there are parts of it that thrive on the tough guy image or being from the streets, but also there's, you know, a lot of misfits and a lot of the songs are about that. And uh, yeah. And now, now these days, like these days, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but even in 1998, was it when he came out of the closet? It's still kind of, it, it still made, it, it was a headline, you know? And, uh, but even then I don't think a lot of, there wasn't a, like a, you know, people weren't, once, once Rob went back to join the band again, it, it, I don't think they lost a, a step of uh, the fandom. But, um, and I also think it's it's just a it's just a footnote. It's an also ran on Judas Priest. I mean, listen to Judas Priest. The first thing you don't think of is that oh yeah, this is the band with the you know the gay guy. It's just a 
it's an afterthought. Right. So it's not his job to write ballads about coming out in, you know, and, and being gay. No, he's just writing tough, badass songs about good and evil battles. And, uh, that's just happens to, and, and, and about ramming it down. Sure. But what I mean is it's, it's just a, <laughs> it's just a facet of, of what they do. You're absolutely right. Halford, um, wrote songs for Halford. He believed in the songs that he wrote, as can be seen from the Rockerola albums or heard from the Rockerola albums, uh, uh, Sudwings of Destiny, that uh, those songs, by and large, are quite meaningful if you listen to the words and, you know, do come from a sensitive, uh, sensitive person. Um, is this the difference between a star and just another performer? Despite his screaming, wailing voice, he had a powerful voice and he did have a, a, a presence on stage. He had star quality. That is un, undoubtable. Um, he could write songs and he had this ability to ad-lib in a song and, and just come out with words that actually did make sense. I mean, from the soul, from the heart. Well, let's be honest here. Rat, ram it down could be a uh, you know it, it's it's not that's non gendered. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, as much as sex permeates rock and roll, I mean, shit, it could go any way in that connotation. Absolutely, smell the glove. That was you know. I, <laughs> uh, did my you Spinal Tap? That was a sure. uh, non gendered. Did so. you guys see, I haven't watched the whole video. I just saw a clip of it on Twitter, but this would be kind of maybe the next genre that needs to deal with the homophobia would be obviously the rap and hip hop genre. Did you see that clip of the Lil Nas X video where, <laughs> where he gives like a very hunky devil a lap dance? Uh, cause uh, no, uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty, but I did read about it though. Yeah. 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 And, pretty, um, pretty. Someone commented that Ben Shapiro is probably losing sleep over it. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like it's, that. It's pretty, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive it, and, and very metal in its own way. But you're right though. I mean, I think that is a genre of music um, that um, certainly has its issues with misogyny and homophobia, but uh, hopefully one day, you know, um, it, it will progress. I mean, it, often these types of acceptance and ideas generally do. So let's hope. That's right. That's right. Getting back to the history of this band here. So I have a little bit of an essay I put together, and uh, it, it did include quite a bit of plagiarizing from various websites. So thank you, All Music and Wikipedia and Revolver Magazine, for your help. Uh, yeah, the Juice Priest, they were started in the, the early 70s, and they actually probably started around Black Sabbath, maybe even right before them. But this wasn't, this wasn't Juice Priest as we know them. Rob Halford wasn't in the band. Uh, I think I think the only guy that was in the band then was uh, the bassist Ian Hill. Through different rotating uh, 
the rotating door of members. By 1971, they started calling themselves Judas Priest, and they still didn't have Rob Halford. Uh, various people that I'm not even going to bring up because they didn't play later, but one guy was named Alan Moore. I don't think it was the comic creator, but that'd be great if Alan Moore was in a proto Judas Priest. Um, and at about uh, 1973 was when Rob Halford joined the band, and they uh, got together with Glenn Tipton. And at that point, you had uh, K.K. Downing, Glenn Tipton, uh, Ian Hill, and Rob Halford as your two guitar players, your bassist, and your vocalist. And I think John Hinch was on drums then. The drummers are going to come and go to an extent, but those four guys were the nucleus of the band up until about, well, uh, up until the uh, 1990, and then again from 2000 to 2010. Replacements, and would we be interested in going to audition for Judas Priest. Rob and I discussed the matter and felt that um, we didn't really want to be associated with this band and if we did we'd certainly change the name. And uh, Anyway, we ended up at the rehearsal, went through all their songs, um, Rob could, could sort of sing us a song he'd never heard before and just throw words in that sort of happened to suit and then of course improve them as time went by and uh, because the band had got um, a tour already lined up with a as a support to a band called Budgie Rob and I felt well what have we got to lose it's going to put us out there it's um, in time we're sure we can take this band over and it will become our band or on the other hand if it doesn't suit fine we'll carry on off we went on tour after a few bitty sort of rehearsals and um, by the end of the tour, I think if I remember right, it was something like three to four weeks long, we sort of moulded into the Judas Priest situation very nicely. We, we, Robert successfully changed it and from there, Dave Cork, if I'm right, was already in contact via Budgie with Gold Records. Got David Howells to come and see us at a gig in London, I can't remember where. And from there, David must have thought, hey, this band's gonna do good. Uh, their first album was called Rockarola, came out in 1974. It's very proto-priest. It's not bad, but it's not what you're going to Judas Priest for. Uh, Rob Halford, if you go look up live album, live footage from those those dates, like uh, the old Whistles Stop, or whatever the hell that show was, uh, or Top of the Pops. Uh, Rob Halford's wearing like a, uh, a fedora with a, a robe and the rest of the band is, uh, he has long hair, which is odd to see Rob Halford with long hair. And they're playing kind of a, they're kind of chasing after Led Zeppelin a little more, I think. It's definitely not uh, what you hear on Stained Class. Their next record was Sad Wings of Destiny, which is a great album title. It was actually a contender for uh, what we talked about in the podcast tonight. And I, anybody should go check that one out. It's a little bit proggier, but uh, it sounds more like Judas Priest than Rockarola did. Following that was Sin After Sin, which also was the contender for the podcast, based off their cover of Joan Baez's uh, Diamonds and Rust alone. It's a very good cover. Also, the song Starbreaker is amazing, as well as the song Dissident Aggressor. 
which was covered by Slayer in the 90s. And that's probably the first time I heard that song was the actual cover before I heard the, 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 the real one. They started getting a little bit more notoriety when Sin After Sin came out. And this is about 1977. So in 1978, they went back to England and they recorded Stained Class. Stained Class didn't have huge sales, but it definitely is what made people pay attention to Judas Priest as a, a metal band. And when I think metal starts somewhere, I think personally that metal starts here with this record in 1978. I think all the bands that came after it that were influenced by a Judas Priest. This is what they were looking to. I think the new wave of uh, British heavy metal, which was your bands like Angel Witch and Saxon and Iron Maiden, uh, I think that Stained Class uh, just predated them enough to where they probably were listening to this too. Uh, the next record was 1979's Hellbent for Leather, which is also called Killing Machine here in the United States. Or I'm sorry, flip that. Flip that. Hellbent for Leather in the United States, Killing Machine in the UK. I don't know why we got Hellbent for Leather. I like that album title actually better. Hellbent, Hellbent for Leather. It's, a, uh, it's another good one. At this point, it's hit after hit, if you ask me. They're releasing about a great album every year from the mid-70s to the mid-80s. Uh, around this time, you've got the name Hellbent for Leather, and these guys were Hellbent for Leather. They started wearing uh, the web, the leather, the, the, the chaps, the studs, the... Uh, the, the the captain's cap that uh, Eric and, and or no Mark was wearing earlier tonight, and uh, that becomes their look for quite some time. Uh, Glenn and KK are going to be wearing spandex every once in a while, but you're definitely going to see Rob dressed in the finest of leather for the majority of the band's existence moving forward. Occasionally, now when you see them, he will wear a giant leather um, studded robe. With his shaved head and his goatee, he definitely looks like an Al uh, Alistair Crowley type guy these days. So, just as we're talking about the uh, the, the the leather look, um, uh, a couple friends of the show uh, um, they uh, told me on their they were uh, on their honeymoon in in Europe, and they um, were in. I want to say it was Berlin or somewhere in the Eastern Bloc, and there was a bar, and out front there was a big Halford statue, just a, a beautiful uh, Rob Halford in leather statue. So how could you not go visit it? So um, that's, that, that's yeah. wonderful. I think I might make a pilgrimage myself. Uh, yeah, there there actually is some contention between him and uh, KK Downing. Actually, KK say, says that he was the one that started the whole leather thing, and that's fine. Uh, I I assume it would have been Rob, but either way, Jews Priest are the guys that started the whole leather look, and also tying motorcycles to a lot of metal. And Rob rides Harleys on the stage to this day. I've seen it twice with my own eyes. And <laughs> rides a Harley out there, and they play Hellbent for Leather while he's on the Harley. <laughs> it's uh, beautiful. 
Uh, the, after this, they released a, a live album, and we don't talk about live albums a lot on here, but when they're really good, they're worth bringing up. And in 1979, they released Unleashed in the East, which they were big in Japan, apparently. And I love that album title. It's uh, every song on there, I think, is better than the studio version. I do think there's a little bit of uh, fiddling in the studio to where it's it's live, quote unquote. But there's a little bit of uh, studio magic on there. Uh, the next re- record was British Steel, and that was in 1980. Huge hits off that one. That's where you've got the breaking the law and living after midnight. Two amazing songs, two great radio hits. You can't deny those tracks when you hear them. Uh, Wasn't living after midnight the song- on the Grand Theft Auto Vice City soundtrack that I remember so well. Probably, I bet if it wasn't, there was another song from that era on there. I'm sure. I mean, breaking the law would work too. But uh, that song actually, living after midnight, one time when they were recording their album. Uh, KK was up late, like all week playing late up to like 4 a.m. And Rob wanted to sleep and Rob said, KK, you've been living after midnight all week. And they both looked at each other and had a, you know, a classic documentary moment living after midnight. We got something. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this is, here we go. (laughs) Studio now. Yeah. (laughs) Next album after that was point of entry. Another pretty good record. And in 82, there was Screaming for Vengeance, which is – that was probably another one we could have did in the podcast tonight that uh, had – that had uh, you got another thing coming on it. Hey, hey, buddy. 1982, you had Screaming for Vengeance, another great album. Some say they're best. Two years later, you had Defenders of the Faith, another great album. Some say they're best. Uh, at this time, uh, you know, uh, for a new wave of British heavy metal has ended. But thrash metal's on the rise. You've got Metallica and Megadeth and Slayer and Anthrax. That's what people are going to start thinking of when they think of metal. But those guys wouldn't be around if it wasn't for Judas Priest. Uh, at the edge of the end of the 80s, they got into keyboards. So we're going to have the album Turbo and Ram It Down. And then in 1990, they got a new drummer from the band Racer X. And they put out an album called Painkiller. And I might think that might be their best album on some days. That was another contender for the podcast. 1990s Painkiller. My point here, gentlemen, is is that from 1975 to 1990, the majority of their output I considered an album we could have talked about. And that's quite a huge hit rate for a band. Uh, Usually when we pull a band's record from the, the discography, for the show it's, it's from a golden era maybe like a window of like three to five years these guys you could have picked anything from like a 15 year span after that rob halford left the band he started fight and then he did two is that when uh, mark Wahlberg joined the band that is that's when tim ripper owens who was in a priest tribute band called Winter's Bane, joined the band. Ah. And that's also when a movie with Mark Wahlberg came out a few years later called Rockstar, which is based off the same story. Mm. Did either of you see Rockstar? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A long, a long time Jesus. ago. Yeah, I did. All I remember about it is he's like setting up a uh, one of the first Xerox machines. And that's when he gets and somebody notices his <laughs> eyeliner and then at the end of the movie, after he's all washed up, he decides to pick up the old acoustic guitar and play some grunge in a Seattle coffee shop and uh, get his groove back a little bit. Yeah. 
Do you remember oh. what the band uh, was called in that movie? I don't. Steel Dragon. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. I have seen that movie and uh, not recommended. And now I never need to see it. It is not a good one. Those two scenes I just told you, that tells you the whole story right there. I, I, I do have to say the Halford project that he started, the band Fight, they're pretty good. They sounded kind of like Jews Preets meets Pantera. It uh, wasn't that bad. Two, we've talked about two. The water was leaking. Uh, Jews Priest's two albums with uh, Jesse Ripper were named Jugulator and then Demolition. And then uh, around around 2003, Halford came back to the band and uh, Jesse the Ripper Owens conceded his microphone to the metal god. And they released uh, an album called Angel of Retribution, followed by Nostradamus, followed by Redeemer of Souls, followed by Firepower in 2019. And Firepower might be one of their best albums, too. It was a total return to form. I'm caught up in this voodoo Trying to break free I feel I'm being smothered Trapped by this entity Black and clouds around me Filling me with dread I can't escape the horror With the devil in modern production but old school writing and uh they they had a couple of, of new members in the band unfortunately kk downing left the band and uh glenn tipton has uh, alzheimer's now and he uh he plays in the studio albums but he can't do it live anymore alzheimer's <laughs> that pronounced it wrong. It's, it's Alzheimer's. I, I just, it just, it just. Alzheimer's sounds like just, uh, just, you're giving someone like a wet w- willy or something, <laughs> or like a wedgie. Like it's a wedgie for old people. But uh, <laughs> I, it does, it does. But kind honestly, of, it kind of is. It kind of gives. It's hey, a little spoonful of sugar. We are not. We are not. We are not, we are not mock, You know. God damn it! One grandmother died of dementia, and the other one's got dementia now. We are not mocking the elderly people and their mind issues. But yes. Uh, of course not. It's funny. Of I'm not even, not even drinking tonight. I can't pronounce words. <laughs> so anyhow, that's that. Uh, that's your that's your whole fifty years of uh, Juice Priest in a nutshell. Jesus and that's Christ, right. fifty years. When, co- when COVID's done, they're going to be doing a fifty year tour. They were going to do it before COVID hit, but there you go. Yeah, that's great. a lot of good albums in there. A lot of just a lot of quality. Just incredible amount of quality. I don't know how they kept it up. It's good stuff. And. Awesome. Uh, I, I do have to say, no, I'll save it. I'll save it for my my recommends later. There's a couple more albums I want to point out to people. The quality there, but good, goodness gracious, this isn't the history of a Jewish Priest podcast. This is the Stained Class Track by Track podcast. So, jumping all the way back to 1974, and by that I mean 1978. 
Stained Class, recorded in London. The only album of theirs where every band member at the time of the band had a writing credit. We're going to start off with the exciting song called Exciter. this album out of all of them and uh i mean i think a song like exciter kind of gives you that impression right then why would why we pick this one well uh, you hear a song like this a fast moving track like this and i already feel like you can hear that the start of something something metallic something being reinvented with this track as a matter of fact uh you know a uh, friend of the insurrection a guy from that band celtic frost he said that uh you know uh, Exciter presented a surgical, precise kind of metal, a prototype of thrash metal that I had never heard. This is the first Judas Priest album that I ever bought. It is one of the most important albums of my life. And when I got it, I actually had to get used to it because it was so modern for my ears. Cider sounds very for 1978. I think it's a very modern start to the record. I have more things to say, but I'm curious. We're going to start tonight with Mark. Yeah, um, it starts off with a bang. So that uh, drum intro, it sounds like it was um, just kind of ramping things up. And then when that guitar, I'm not sure who is, is that KK or is that. Um, uh, Glenn Tipton. Well, you know, I'm not looking at the liner notes here, but they were both, quote unquote, lead and rhythm guitarists. They okay. would, they would take, you know, it wasn't uh, one for you, one for me, but they took turns being taking a step forward. Glenn got so, got so co-writing uh, credit on this song, if that matters. So in that case, it's probably Glenn. So I'll just go ahead and say, like, I guess just to. Um, head us off at the pass in terms of was that KK or was that Glenn? I'll just say just the guitar on this um, this track as we go forward is just uh, monumental. So whomever is doing leads, whoever is really driving the rhythm um, on this song particularly uh, is uh, earning their paycheck. That is some groove guitar. Um, so I've read that this is kind of the introduction of speed metal, and so I don't know what necessarily the difference between speed metal and thrash metal, but this just sounds like fucking great rock and roll music. Um, 
the drum intro, apparently, Les Binks, he, uh, in my notes, he accidentally came up with that drum intro for the song at a sound check um, on their Sin After Sin tour. That was according to K.K. Downing. And um, that guitar riff, man, that can get stuck in your ears. Uh, the song itself, um, it seems to be about the second coming. That's my interpretation of it. Um, and Rob Halford... <clears throat> His singing, I mean, hits those notes at the end that in my very um, surface-level history of uh, metal, the introduction of metal as it really is in its infancy at this point. Um, So bands like Grim Reaper were obviously influenced by this and just the whole style of Rob Halford singing and just that driving guitar riff. Uh, I, I enjoy this song quite quite a bit. Um, I think that it uh, this album is great for for actually driving, literally driving. You can find yourself doing eighty uh, pretty pretty easily on how much momentum these songs have, and this one is of no exception. Um, I like this song quite a bit, and it's really being. Uh, I mean, okay, so I'll just say this: the last couple albums that we've talked about. I maybe have feeling a little bit of a drought for having that guitar being front and center. And so for this, this is like a cold glass of water on a very hot day. So I'm very excited that it kicks off this way where you've got someone who is technically proficient in their instrument and they're doing it in such a way that can get stuck in your ear if you allow it to. So, yes, big fan. Yeah, well, you're going to, yeah, Judas Priest were well known for intricate guitar playing fast guitar playing they had slow they had slow songs too and also guitar interplay between the two guitarists guitars 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 yeah um uh, speaking of that drum sound you were talking about uh to the drum sound on this album i i think this album's production is really really crisp it's it's analog but it's not uh sloppy uh, I, I think that you can hear every instrument very well, especially the drums. I feel like the drums are mic'd perfectly on this record. Yes. I, I'm not sure if it's because they used uh, a producer, uh, Dennis McKay, and he typically, you're going to find him with uh, Hi Sarab, bands like Mahavishnu Orchestra, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or Return to Forever, like jazz bands. He was a jazz fusion guy. And this yeah. was the only album of Jesus Priest that he produced. I think the other Judas Priest albums, all uh, most of them sound good uh, production-wise, but this one just uh, every instrument was leveled perfectly, and uh, yeah, the drums especially. As and, somebody and later who... in this record, uh, one real fast, Eric, and the other guy that was also behind the boards was James Guthrie, um, who worked on uh, a few Pink Floyd records, and you can certainly tell some of the production style on in uh, some of the later tracks on this record too. But go ahead, Eric. No, it's really good to hear about Arlo Guthrie. Um, but uh, Alice's <laughs> Kitchen, man. Uh, no, I'm, I'm a, I kid. Uh, so as far as drumming uh, production goes, uh, this reminds me of um, I, the two years I took at American River College of music recording. The Literally the last two years you could possibly take that class where they were still using tape before they switched to digital. Um, but... You can hear it on this album. It's, as far as the drum production, when you mic uh, and you uh, you mic the drums so that the snare and the hi hat are panned all the way to the left, 
the toms are kind of like uh, going from middle to right, and uh, the bass drum is right in the center, and it feels like you're sitting in that kit as it plays. That, I, that if I could describe that drum production, that's that's the sense I'm getting. It's uh, it's textbook, but that's because it works and it's very very good sound. Um, and uh, yeah, this this song is this song is a heater. There's no there's no question about it. It's funny uh, that you said it was about the second coming, Mark. In my notes, I wrote it was kind of like a it was like from a harbinger of doom celebrating the coming of a great destroyer which is <laughs> is basically the second coming um uh, uh my wife may follow an old co-worker that she despises that has at some point in the last decade fallen full into like a uh christian church that's all about celebrating uh revelations and waiting for jesus to return and and literally like hopes that they get to be here when the whole world dies. Very strange, very strange. And I guess it's one and the same, right? Um, uh, he's here among us. The age of fire is at hand. Stand by exciter. Salvation is his task. Stand by exciter. Salvation bids to ask. Everything he touches fries to a crisp. Let's, let him get close to you so you're in his trip. First you'll smoke and smolder, blister and singe. When ignition hits you, the very soul of you, of your being, will cringe. Uh, I love Hal Halford's lyrics. They're very simple. You know exactly what he's talking about. Sometimes you could tie it to a metaphor that you can relate to in day-to-day -day life. Sometimes it's just an epic battle of good and evil. Um, either way, he paints a picture like no other. It's so clear. Um, and it's fun. Uh, and this, and that's this song. It's it, whether it's a, it's somebody celebrating a great destroyer or the second coming, or maybe it's all the same thing. Uh, it's a, it's a very epic metal song and catchy as all hell. You are absolutely right about that guitar riff. And at some point between the second and third verse, uh, that were, that guitar riff, uh, it changes to kind of a backstep. And uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that one, that one gets uh, printed uh, on 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 the gray matter. It's it's a good one. Um, uh, this, I mean, this one. I, I I would love to do a karaoke sing along of this song, but I would uh, nobody can hit those notes like Halford. He uh, hmm. he does a you know while most singers would stay in one scale during each verse. He starts in one scale and then by the end of the, the measure, he jumps up an octave and he does that at the end of every measure um, that most people can't do. Um, so between, yes, technically amazing guitar work, drumming, you know, uh, nobody's talking about the bass player. I'm sure he's doing a great job. Um, and maybe that's the bass player's job is to not stand out and that's fine. But, uh, but Halford is a, you know, Super provision vocalist. Um, yeah, this song is uh, is a manifesto. It's the mission statement for Judas Priest. We're gonna tell you. We're gonna sing you some epic songs, and we are gonna show you uh, how extremely talented musicians can pull off this new genre. The um, battle between good and evil. Uh, this a lot of their songs are that. I mean, that's that's well trotted ground for any. The you know the poet and uh, or musician, 
But he did actually say that uh, this is later. This is like last year that the 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 good overcoming evil theme of many of their songs uh, and the act of coming out to him were similar. He, he, he said that I urge people LGBTQ, any of us that are still trying to find that moment to break down the door, step forward and say, this is who I am and I'm proud of who I am. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going I'm I'm not going to put everybody else before me. And he said I think that one of the most beautiful things you can do in life is to share your life and give as much as you possibly can. You can't really do that if you're kind of locking yourself away in this thing we call the closet. I I bring that up. I don't think Exciter is about that theme at all. But he did specifically say that he feels that a lot of the times when he's riding in between good good overcoming evil, he was kind of coming from that mindset of uh you know, he couldn't he couldn't he wasn't ready to say what he really wanted to say, but the songs about that battle was also maybe the battle going on inside of himself about trying to be himself. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's like maybe any other metal band could do it. And it's just kind of like a, um, it's just, it's just bringing a, maybe like a pulp comic book to life. But when he does it, maybe there's another layer that's personal. And I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that Rob was self-aware enough to realize that when he did come out, that he had a, uh, a privilege that millions of others in a similar situation did not, which was he was a millionaire in a uh, well-liked metal band, but still it had to be challenging. Um, I have no point of reference for it at all, but uh, I can only imagine. Yeah, this track, I, I mean, there's another thing you said is that you were talking about how Halford will hit different octaves within the same verse at times. He does that a lot throughout their career and it's incredible and also yeah the the band will sometimes a guitar will take a step back and go in a different direction but not sound like it's a different completely different song it fits a very versatile band i think they uh they could they could stop on a dime and head another direction when they wanted to it's uh they do that a lot as well the guitar solo at the uh, 124 point has some wicked wicked uh, rhythm riffing behind it the guitar solo is just perfect but the rhythm guitar it can you cannot overlook the rhythm guitar in Judas Priest half the time it's as impressive as the uh, the solo that's going on and uh I, I i i think that the the idea of some kind of watch out for exciter that's a well they get too often they've written about angels of vengeance hunters of evil or just some something you've got to look out for they uh, they've written about that quite a bit it's a well they like to go to um, the moment in this track at three minutes and 37 seconds where the guitars harmonize. Oh yeah, that's that's the part I was talking about. That's the uh, yeah. That's the that's the gold. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. I I, mm-hmm. I I I feel like that's one of the defining moments of heavy metal. Like some, if I was on some uh, low budget documentary, I'd be like, you know, right there, Exciter. Listen to this right there. That you hear that? That's it. That's where it all took off. Right there. It was never the same. That's the watershed right there. That's how I feel about that. Meanwhile, in real life, if you're hanging out with Steve at his apartment, at his apartment back in 2000, (laughs) you know, 2009, and that part comes on, you will see Steve go electric. Like you will see, yeah, it'll, uh, he turns into a superhero for uh, at least a minute. Oh yeah. Those were, those were the days of a 
tight jeans and uh, jean jackets without sleeves. Not jean, not 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 a jean jacket, and not a t-shirt without sleeves, but a jean jacket without sleeves. So for our listeners out there, a couple years ago, Eric and um, his son Lennox actually uh, did a video birthday card for for Steve, and it's one for the ages. Unfortunately, YouTube. Uh, through scraping the internets, um, deemed it not appropriate for copyright issues. Fucking and cancel took it, culture. Cancel took, culture. <laughs> took it down. But my God, as we were going into this episode, <laughs> that was my um, that was my image in my head of Steve just yelling riffs and Eric's impression of Steve and Lennox playing the ghost of Steven's like birthday past i think uh it was it was right, great right. and uh those were during the mustache days of steven i'll try know, to find the original fantastic. the original footage and uh, and resurrect it uh free of youtube the, the 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 shackles of youtube yes first they came first they came for eric's youtube videos and we said nothing then they then they came for dr seuss and a whole bunch of people said something I know your uh, your algorithm's getting crushed, but we're gonna do what we can, as yeah. Don Junior said. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Maybe yeah. Maybe the Tuck, Instagram gods. Maybe Tucker will stand up for me. We uh, we've spent a lot of time and we're only on track two. White heat, red hot. It's a it, it it takes it's a perfect track too. Yet again, most of the albums, you know, we pick folks, we pick good albums here. We don't like to talk about trash, and we all know that the secret. If you don't understand it by now, the secret to a good album is sequencing, and it's to know how to take it down a step for track two. Take it down a step for track two, but still maintain the drive and the the swagger of the album. Eric, do they manage to pull that off here with this track too? Sure they do. Absolutely. The RPMs go down, but the intensity does not. It starts with a killer solo riff, which uh, starts in the forefront and then moves to the background and continues over the first verse. Um, and you get, you've got a song with lyrics like the fury songs of venomous wrongs. So rich in tragedy and overture forevermore to senseless victories. Give to us this day of glory, the power and the kill. So we avoid the wrath and the almighty fire. So this is basically a song about killing to appease your dark Lord. Um, 
and uh, it's got this great. It is understated in the sense, like the 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 chorus is just the title of the song: white, heat, red, hot, and it, it almost goes down to a whisper. Um, don't worry, Rob does his vocal tricks during the verses, um, but he kind of switches the intensity and and takes down a notch in the choruses. Um, and then there's this really cool uh, uh, bridge before the last chorus where the vocal and the guitars and everything just starts dropping down like it's falling downstairs. Um, uh, that really just that gets you caught up in it. Uh, song's got a great just groove to it. And uh, I don't have much more to say. You're absolutely right about it being an awesome track, too. That falling down the stairs part, are you talking about that? Is that the yeah, part that you're you talking about? You got it. Oh, man. Jesus Christ. Give me a cigarette after that. And like it comes back um, white heat uh, when uh, Alfred's really going for it towards the end um, with white heat, red hot. Uh, to your point, Steve, this is a great song. Uh, I, guitar solos is uh, really just on fire. Uh, it made me very, very happy to hear those dynamic solos because honestly, we haven't really talked about guitar solos that much this season. Um, all things considered, I think the last time we did was Pink Floyd's uh, The Wall. Uh, um, well, we had uh, the, yeah, tra- traditional guitar solos, definitely. Uh, Uncle Acid had some dirty guitar solos on there, but they were kind of like buried in the mix and a different type of, they served the songs differently. Uh, yeah. These are traditional guitar solos to an extent. One thing they do, and Eric actually made me think about this when he, uh, we were listening to another album and he mentioned how like it was good that the guitar solos were good. Uh, Behemoth kind of had like, but their, their guitar solos were very buried in the mix and they were like 20 seconds and gone. Um, you know, uh, Jews Priest is something interesting where I feel like the guitar solos typically serve the song. And I was going to bring this up later, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, the rest of the band always seems to make way for the guitar solo, but isn't overshadowed. And also they're not always like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar solo, uh, verse, chorus, end of song. The guitar solos sometimes come after the first verse. Sometimes they'll come right before like the last like line of the song. They're not placed in that typical standard, like a four minute song, verse, chorus, verse, verse, chorus, verse, solo spot. You guys know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. This one has it right off the bat and then it and then it falls back behind the vocals and actually continues behind the verse, the first verse. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mark, any anything else on this track? No, it's just really solid. I um, (laughs) I think I texted you guys. I was like that guitar like riff deserves to be a mayor of a town. Um, I. (laughs) It's so good. It is so good. No, 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 no. It's just, and then towards the end where it really lets it ride and with the, um, the drums kind of just keeping in lockstep with it. It's just a fun, fun, great song. Um, I know that some people may like vocally think, oh boy, this is kind of like, you know, Rob Halford, just those metal vocals that you get in early days, but um, I, you just gotta fall into it. You gotta just let yourself go with it. And musically speaking, it is just awesome. Well, he awesome. he hits he hits some high high notes, but at the same time, he has some other octaves. And he also he does like like Eric said, there will be times where like within one verse, he hits like four different vocal deliveries. It's uh pretty impressive. 
Um, and he always sounds like himself. He never doesn't sound like different singers. He can if he's doing the guy in an alleyway pumping his fist at you approach or the total opera falsetto approach. It still sounds like Rob Halford. And he sometimes does them back to back without the breaking the sweat. Um, he does something that is very hard to do where he has dramatic flair to his delivery, but it never feels like you're it's, it never feels like a gimmick or like, you know, a novelty song like he. Yeah, I, it's just it's pretty impressive. He still feels down. To, he still feels down to earth somehow. It, yeah. Yep, yeah. There's yep. there is high drama in some of these songs, but he still feels like. They're from the an industrial suburb of London, and they still come across like that. Um, yeah, the, the, the some parts in this song that actually to speak to the bass line, this one has that persistent bass line that 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 uh, uh, da 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 When that vocal delivery is going on, the bass line is just going bump 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 bump, and it's very persistent. If you listen for it, it's it's, it's really cool. Um, the uh, the song itself, it feels like something is heating up like the the is it as it goes through and it speeds up a little it heats you know burns white hot the way he delivers it it actually sounds like metal is heating up like don't touch that by the end of the song it's gonna burn your hand um yeah we talked about the, the guitar harmonizing that happens and there's some killer drum fills around uh, the one minute 45 that goes right into a solo that has great rising action um there's a line in this track from years of solar gladderation can only end in white heat, red hot. I have no idea what solar gladderation is. It sounds like suns fighting each other, like literal suns that heat the universe battling. I love it. Um, and uh, they have the closing drum gallop that you brought up, Mark, is amazing. It's a more birth of metal shit, if you ask me. The closing double kick drums in this one, I, I think... Uh, I think Lars heard that before he he went and did the end of uh, Ride the Lightning, or I'm sorry, uh, on Ride the Lightning, uh, Fade to Black, and it, it, it sounds like every Dave Lombardo song of uh, in Slayer's catalog. So, White Heat, Red Hot, great track. It starts groovy and it gets speeding up. All right, so now we're going to go to a song which is a cover. And for me, it takes me down a trip down memory lane. I'll get to that in a moment. It is written by Gary Wright, the Dreamweaver. Better by you, better than me.
Better by You, Better Than Me is a uh, song that it doesn't sound out of place. It definitely sounds like Jesus Priest. And they would often they, they do a couple of covers where you're like, ah, oh, this is a This is by a band called Spooky Tooth. And uh, yes, like I mentioned before, they covered Joan Baez. Uh, they cover in, in the 80s. They covered um, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. I don't think it was Great Balls of Fire. I can't remember what the hell song. It might have been. Oh, it was Johnny Be Good. That's by Chuck Berry. I'm sorry. Yeah, they covered Chuck Berry, uh, Joan Baez, Spooky Tooth. And uh, also uh, around this same era, they covered Fleetwood Mac. The green Manhalishi with the two-pronged crown, which I believe was a single. And uh, they do a great job in all of them, but they all sound like Jesus Priest. They don't sound like the originals. Mark, what do you think of uh, track three? Better by you, better by me, better than you. Better by better, better by you, better than me. Sorry. It's a great song. It's a great cover. I didn't have a opportunity to actually go back and listen to um, the original version of Spooky Tooths. Um, and I'm sure that we'll talk about this as a group, but this is the song that gave them the notoriety as the poster case used against subliminal messages and backmasking. Um, there was an incident that occurred in um, either Sparks or Reno, Nevada, where two teenagers decided to um, make a suicide pact and, uh, well, uh, went through with it. Anyhow, um, they went to court through it, and I'm sure, you know, we can talk about the backstory in another way, but how I feel about this song, um, again, you get that crunchy guitar, and it's just a just it goes down super smooth um and uh it reaches its high highs i mean the music that you hear on this record yes it is the music that's coming out of a van with the uh like some van art on the side but um maybe they're uh, up to something in there that's actually worth listening to um, yeah it's a, it's it's a perfect van with a perfect art in the side it's it it, it encapsulates that sound perfectly right Right. And um, I don't know, like, yes, it is formulaic, but honestly, that formula is uh, good enough to cure pandemics, if you ask me. Um, It's just it's a really good sound if you're into kind of this groove based rock and roll um, with a little bit of a harder edge. And it does have soaring technical uh, swoops and sweeps in terms of what the guitar, the guitar is really front and center, but everyone like to your point earlier about the production, everything is in its right place. Everything sounds so crisp. Everything sounds like way ahead of its time. Um, not overly produced, perfectly produced. Um, the only thing I would say is Rob Halford. He doesn't try to be the front man. He tries to just, um, it's, it's a democratic band in the sense that he's not there to essentially steal the spotlight away um, from any of his bandmates, everything is just perfectly just so. Um, and it just reading about the the trial that surrounded this song and backmasking and just heavy metal, it it seems that it was like the dark ages. It was like the Spanish Inquisition, where you could think like 
how could they fucking think that something like that like is possible? But um, I'm sure that Eric and yourself will have a few more commentary on that. So uh, I'll, I'll give it back to you, Stu. Yeah, no, one of the things that either was said later or said during the during the uh, proceedings, Rob Halford said, like, you know, not to be crass here, this is a tragedy, but if we were going to put uh, hidden messages in our songs, the messages would be telling people to buy more of our albums, not to kill themselves. So Bill Hicks, just, was, Bill Hicks riffed on that, too. Yeah, specifically about this, 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 this legal case there, Eric, what else do you, you got any other thoughts on the legal case or, or what do you think about the song? Yeah. Either both. Yeah. I mean, the legal case, uh, there's some good YouTube footage of Halford, uh, on the stand where he's reading the lyrics, which he didn't even write. Uh, but he's, but instead of just reading them, he sings them. So he'll like break octaves as he's, as he's on the stand and uh, just showing off, which I love. Um, and then at some point during the trial, he played, uh, he played Exciter backwards and convinced the jury that like he was singing about peanut butter. And he's like, see, your brain just finds these words that aren't even there. Um, because the, 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 the accusation was that they're saying, do it, do it, do it, like kill yourself in the song. The song itself was not about suicide at all. Spooky tooth. And Gary Wright uh, confirmed this. The song is about uh, somebody that's going off to war that doesn't know how to say goodbye to their loved one, their 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 girl, and so they're having a friend do it who's better, who's less emotional about it. You know, better by you, better than me. You can tell what I, what I want it to be. Like basically having somebody else share that that message because you're just too fucked up to to say it. They're going off to kill. Uh, it's actually a pretty, pretty deep song. Um, I will let Steve go ahead and convince us on the, the goodness of spooky tooth. I've only listened to this song by them, um, for this, this podcast. It's very slow. Um, Judas priest is two times faster than, than theirs. Theirs definitely sounds like a very groovy English blues rock. It sounds like blind faith or something like that. Um, which I'm already inclined to like spooky tooth better than anything with Eric Clapton in it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good little track. Um, but Judas priest in my, for my money is better. It's faster. Um, and I can just imagine Halford standing on the stage, just pointing to the audience better by you better than me as he's singing it. Um, I think this song is, you can't separate it from the controversy. Um, and obviously this one was meant to be the hit, right? Like they had the whole album recorded and they were sent back with a producer just to do this song to give them something a little bit more sellable. Um, so this was meant yeah. to be the hit on this album. And uh, you can kind of tell that I think it's got a softer edge than the rest of it, but it's still catchy. That riff gets under your craw it's 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 a good time um and interesting the history of the song is very interesting um is what i'll say so yeah yeah you know it would they did go back to the studio and record it it is a cover it is a lot it has a different vibe than a lot of the other songs but still it's produced perfectly the levels are perfect it sounds like it's from the same sessions it fits in perfectly um I the song is a great and I'm not just saying this because Gary Wright did write the song Dreamweaver from uh, Wayne's World, but <laughs> originally does, from Wayne's World. Yes, yeah, it, it does have like 
that guitar strumming, that shimmering guitar part, that da 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 right before he goes into the Better By You, Better By Me, very makes you feel like you're in a fog or on a cloud. It's a good effect. It works perfectly for this track. Uh, I, I do... I do have the uh, the vinyl of the Spooky Tooth album, Spooky 2, I think it was the name of this record. It all kind of sounds like this. This is what they sounded like. You're, the Blind Faith uh, comparison is dead on. You don't need to seek it out, but I like this song and this album so much, I felt compelled to hunt it down. Found it for like five bucks at a local record store. And yeah, I just I remember the first time I heard this track, I was at Zeitgeist in San Francisco and bars and Jewish priests go hand in hand. It's just they work well together. Uh, you're going to find them on any good jukebox. And this song came on, and I just could not believe what I was hearing. I just, I, I put down my Death and Taxes beer and uh, probably looked right into the sky. Yeah, that's probably what happened. Sure. Um, yeah, good, great song. Um, uh, the, it just has like a different, just a pace from the rest of the album, and I appreciate it for that. I mean, there is a full-blown ballad on the album at one point, but... This song has a whole different feel to it. Uh, it's funny though. It's it's the slowest song, maybe, other than that, other than the ballad, but it's still twice as fast as the Spooky Tooth version. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it's it's it, the Spooky Tooth version is very slow. The song has sass to it. I don't know how else to put it. The the way and you know the the lyrics as you describe them, it's not a sassy song. But the lot, the title of it, the better by you, better than me. There's just something about that. The way he sings it, it sounds like it could be accusatory. I don't know. Uh, it's just it's great. It's got a good, good groove. It's a good track. And it's very weird that this is the one they uh, took all the shit from uh, the satanic messaging thing when they didn't even write it. It's just, it just that whole thing was backwards on like nine different levels. And you could only imagine that. I mean, are we, are we heading? Are we? Are we heading? You know, actually, we might be. The, the some people want to get so badly worked up over things that now, when there's like, it's not no longer is this what they're going after. They're not going after satanic metal, but now there's like this element of uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, like at the Grammys, the performance of uh, WAP, there was a whole bunch of pearl clutching on the right. That, that's where it goes now. It's all the pearl clutching, and it's all coded, if you know what I'm saying. That's what's replaced the Satanic Panic, but it's from the same exact people. Yeah, that's what I was kind of feeling, too, um, that uh, I think they look for a way to uh, demonize some sort of culture that they just are feeling uncomfortable with and jumping at shadows that necessarily don't exist in order to create this 
controversy for no fucking reason. Um, but I, I, I feel exactly what you're talking about. The moral majority, I think that's why I have such a huge backlash against organized religion, um, is because they're trying to um, go back to a time uh, where um, critical thinking is not encouraged. And um, it's hard to get behind movements like that for me. Here, here. So. Here, here. Yeah. Absolutely. I, Spooky Tooth had quite a movement, though. This band was the fucking Nexus. Uh, I haven't named all their band members, and I'm, I'm not going to name them who played what, but uh, Mick Jones went on to form Foreigner. Uh, a Grovensner later played with Steeler's Wheel and also joined Mott the Hoople, and then later uh, replaced Mick Rouse, who left to form Bad Company. So it's a lot going on there. They founded uh, 98 Rock. We're, we're, we're moving on from Spooky Tooth to the title track off this album, Stained Class. That's Stained Class. Not Stained Glass, Eric. Stained Class. Understood. <laughs> Trying to take away my worries of today. Definitely uh, an eat the rich type uh, type song um, in spirit. You know, you know, you know who you know who wrote the best eat the rich song. The song "Eat the Rich" by Aerosmith. You got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, you you know. Uh, uh, there's only two albums that I know by Aerosmith, Pump and uh, Honkin' on Bobo. Oh, get Those a grip. Are... Get a grip is oh, eat the rich oh, song. Get, get a, a grip. grip. And you know that Steven Tyler got all those scarves from a socialized uh, program. Um, not- you both don't get a grip. We all I don't get a grip. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I did. Uh, you owned it because Living on the Edge is a great song, and I stand by it to this day. That's right. That's right. 
big ones. That's right, Alicia Silverstone. Uh, in those, in those, the trilogy of music videos. Those were good music you videos. Can't, you can't help. You can't stop yourself from falling. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, listen. Stained class uh, song. Eric. About, yeah. Living in the fridge. <laughs> Weird Al, season four. Fantastic song. Fantastic parody. Living in the fridge. Oh boy. I think I might know that better than living on the edge. I think I might know living in the fridge a little better. just byproduct of being a weird owl fan yeah all right guys stained class uh is a song about uh well it's about basically like the ruling class um through their greed and ruthlessness they have damned any chance of their utopia this true utopia that they're thinking that they're creating um because of how it's achieved the blood on their hands basically means you you know they can't ever truly enjoy this peace they've made for themselves uh great lyrics long ago when man was king his heart was clean now he's stained class time has slashed each untouched thing so now he's just a stained class king lethal deadly hung drawn and quartered he slaughtered and faltered and altered the world and by doing so, smashed all his hopes and utopian dreams. Um, and just like uh, uh, you know, what could be a what could be a good world when you get to it through ruthlessness, you basically create this uh, this loop of, of strife. Um, you know, it, listen, the the vocals aren't the most catchy on the album. I will say that about this one. Um, but the riffage, the, sto- the solos are stellar. And um, there's this bridge where they do these overdub vocals, like where it's just Rob talking over himself or like singing over himself, which is really fun. Um, yeah, he definitely, he actually, yeah, there's a, he, he kind of has a conversation with himself. Yeah. It, it sounds like yeah. kind of phases. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, great. Yeah, it's really cool. And then that whole fucking drawn and quartered, <laughs> the, he changes his singing style in that, in that verse, which is like the third verse, I think. And it becomes a jam, like, Initially, he's just kind of, kind of getting his ideas out there, but he locks into the groove in that third, that third verse, and it just, it just comes alive. Um, it really picks up steam, and uh, and then leads into one of the best solos on this album uh, after that verse. Um, Stain class, cool song. Classic. Sister, you're a better man than I. It's living in the fridge. <laughs> 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 so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy, that, that on the uh, the one with Jurassic Park is frightening in the dark. Is that on Weird Al Al's done it again. Is that on uh, Al, uh, Al, Weird Al Lapalooza? I think that's the name of that album. Oh, what a what a what a just an alchemist of just chuck, chuckles and rhythm, chuckles and rhythm. Uh, oh boy.
Uh, uh, you're not gonna mark it's no living in the fridge but how do you feel about t- the stained glass <laughs> title track i think that put mark one step closer to giving weird al the brand sad treatment oh, my. oh yeah i know he's getting a run through um so <laughs> stained class uh the uh the title track for the record uh, uh eric was right it's about ruling men having their harps corrupted by all the power they hold um the chorus is really strong uh, it really gives you good driving action all throughout and um, really shows me and exemplifies of how Iron Maiden and Judas Priest were really seen as the forefathers of um, modern metal. Uh, I don't think anything can really come out of what we hear today, whether it's Nurgle, whether it's Mastodon, um, whether it's Metallica. Um, they really owe a lot to how they're constructing melody and making it sound as heavy as hell. And they're doing it in such a, a spin um, where I think that, uh, of course, Led Zeppelin b- begat Black Sabbath, and then Black Sabbath then begat Judas Priest and Maiden. Um, but they're all really contemporaries in that sense. They're just all kind of pushing and being competitive and innovating all at the same time. Um, this song at the 3.30 mark... Uh, it uh, gets some really solid doom riffs and it, mm-hmm. uh, right before then it goes really spiraling into the cosmos for, you know, what Eric had said, a very, very great guitar solo. I consider it one hell of a guitar solo. And that's where they out are. Uh, the song really shines for me. Since we're talking about the title track, might as well throw in my two cents about the album cover. The album cover looks like the T 1000, um, with a spike in its head, um, and uh, it, it fits, it fits, it fits what we're what we're listening to here. Yeah, I've st- I've stared at that album cover a lot, and I can't really tell what it is. It's what you just described, but it, it, there's like the artwork to that album cover has a strange. Um, it's malleable, like you can't. It, it ha- it's hard to define the uh, the image, but it's not bad. It's just it's really interesting. You can stare at it and try to figure out what the fuck you're looking at, and it's just you might walk away from it thinking you looked at a, a 3d, you know, poster in a mall. Yeah. 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 There's a, actually before I give my thoughts on this song, Mark brought up something I wanted to point out is the interesting <laughs> comparisons, not, not more, uh, living in the fridge talk. Um, <laughs> I know but, I'm still chuckling about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, there's few things in life and I've, I'm 40 now. But uh, when Mark can't quit laughing at something is one of life's greatest joys. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you feel like he's going to be one of those fucking weasels from Roger Rabbit. Um, the uh, uh, Sabbath. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sabbath. Like we said, Sabbath was the first, I believe. They were slower. They were doomier. And many, many, many bands. Uh, High and fired. Uh, Electric wizard. Um, the whole sludge movement. Uh, Uncle Acid, like they all, you know, Sabbath, what they hang their hat on, and, you know, that's their thing. Slower, messier, groovier. Um, And we'll talk about Sabbath a little more this season, but we won't be talking about that style of Sabbath, and I'll leave it at that. Listeners, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Anyhow, but Maiden and Priest have some interesting comparisons. Priest did predate Maiden a little bit, um, but both bands had very dynamic vocalists who were their second vocalists. Like we said earlier, uh, Rob was not uh, Judas Priest's first vocalist. And, of course, famously, uh, 
uh, the human air siren, um, Bruce Dickinson, he was begat by, uh, wait, if somebody's begat, does that mean they become before? He begat. Um, oh, the English language escapes me tonight. He was preceded by, um, uh, the, uh, Paul Diano, I believe, was the first uh, vocalist for uh, Iron Maiden. And he yeah, was good. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah, he was good. He was a little bit punkier, a little scratchier. And, um, but both... Uh, both Dickinson and and Halford can just hit notes. They're just crazy with those notes. Both bands very well known for the twin guitar attacks, a lot of harmonizing and uh, galloping rhythms. Both bands have a lot of that. Both bands went on for decades and then had a break in the 90s from their main vocalist at the same time. You had uh, Ripper Owens join Judas Priest and over with Maiden you had Blaze Bailey and I've loved Iron Maiden all my life, damn near. I still cannot get through either of the Blaze Bailey albums. They are tough. Mark, have you ever bothered? Um, what is that like? Uh, Factor X? Like what that, was that the Blaze would, that would, yeah, Bailey? Was it the X Factor and then Virtual? X, yeah, Virtual XI, I think it was. <laughs> virtual, <laughs> or was that Virtual Eleven? I don't know. But yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Just the the Bruce Dickinson years is, and the the original lead singer that you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. And one one place, so there are a lot of similarities. One place I think they definitely separate is um, uh, Juice Priest. They do have fantastical moments, but they are very much more street level, and they have some love songs here and there. Maiden is primarily about World War Two. Uh, Knights versus Dragons and time traveling prog songs, and I love that shit. But I feel like Maiden is much more fantastical than Jews Priest is, and Jews Priest does get pretty fantastical. I mean, shit, Beyond the Realms of Death. We're gonna talk about that. It's like fucking RoboCop meets, uh, I don't know, some the the Michael Crichton book Spear. Um, anyhow, that's your. I would say that uh, the difference is in the in what you're talking about is Judas Priest. I think you could for the most part, connect the subject matter to a personal metaphor, while Iron Maiden maybe some political metaphors, maybe, and then other times it's just a sci-fi story. Well, yeah, and that's not to say that Bruce Dickinson's not a great lyricist. He's, you know, a lot, Tolkien's a great writer to some people. He has a way with words, but um, I don't know how, you know, uh, someone's going to give me a hate mail now and say, you know, Steve, clearly you're not thinking about the song Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, which is one of their songs. But uh, I, I do think that Maiden is definitely more telling stories about epics while Jews Priest might talk about what is it, Mark, that you say the greatest battle is the battle between man and his heart or some nonsense. <laughs> Oh man, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, you said it in regards to you too. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yes. <laughs> well, it's man versus uh, man, man versus nature, man versus self, right? Yeah. There you go. It's so, Joseph Campbell at work. Staying class is a great song. Great, great title track. Uh, the very beginning has some great opening shredding. They just get it right out of the way. Um, Rob, like you mentioned, Eric, it's got that bit where he kind of sings to himself and they do some work with it phasing back and forth. I, I dig it. Um, there are some great lyrics in this song, like you said, Eric. Uh, one that I love is, a, I spit at you apathy and seducer deceit. 
That line always gets me. And then uh, that lethal, deadly, hung, drawn, and quartered, and uh, you know, smashed all his utopian dreams. Rob's delivery is perfect in that line. Between the way he delivers that line and the guitar riffage behind it, it's perfect. And uh, that that does lead into King Riff that breaks out, and then the guitar solo behind it. There's a this album. This song has a super solo in it, like you wouldn't believe. It's insane. Um, It's just Glenn takes it for a ride while KK is taking the rhythm for a dance, or maybe they that's the inverse of that. But I love it. And this song does something that they do a few times in this album, and I love it when bands do it, which is they announce the song title as the closing line. In this one, they they sing uh, that that line "Stained Class King." Uh, It's the last thing he sings is "Stained Class King," and that's the end of the song. We had at that point um, signed a recording deal with Gold Records. It was felt by um, David Howes and Roger Bain that we should get another guitarist to to fill the sound out. Um, Priest had a number of times um, been supported by a band called the Flying Hat Band, the lead guitarists being Glenn Tipton. We had to come to this decision to say, okay, we'll we'll get it, we need another guitarist and it'll be Glenn. That also went along with uh, David Howell's ideas of, of, of twin guitars as had been previously um, tried and tested by uh, bands such as Wishbone Ash. I have to say it did work. Um, Glenn joined the band and as Kenny became comfortable with him, it, it, it improved the music a great deal. It did fill the sound out. They managed to work out a lot of dual guitar um, runs, lead runs. Um, and I think it was very, very effective. Invader. does get us into some of that Iron Maiden territory. Well, I don't know if it's about World War II. It's definitely about somebody invading somewhere. Eric, fill me in on what you feel about this song and uh, what the lyrical content. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so Invader is, at surface level, a song about an alien invasion. Um, we warn you now, you things out there, whatever you may send, We won't give in without a fight, a fight until the end. With vigilance by day and night, our scanners trace the sky. A shield is sealed upon this earth, a shield you won't get by. I mean, on the surface level, this song is about that that kind of classic. uh, Whenever you, you hear somebody really analyzing a good alien invasion movie, it's about the strength of the human spirit against... Uh, uh, some kind of like conquering force, right? Uh, like Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, starring Tom Cruise, or Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, starring Orson Welles. Exactly. Uh, 
and I think that's fair. I think uh, what you said earlier that Halford always felt like his his uh, his battle songs uh, had maybe a little extra oomph to him because of what he was going through. I think that could apply to this song, um, this kind of unsurmountable force. But the human spirit is so strong it will succeed. Um, in general, his singing in the verses here is about as catchy as it gets on this album. And um, the hook is just invasion is nigh. I, I've been shouting that around my house all week. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Doesn't matter. It's great. Uh, and um, nobody does a bridge like Judas Priest. Uh, a little like transition uh, chunk of a song between a chorus and a verse. Um, and it's awesome. The whole like children believe you have to believe. And it melts into this kind of spaced out guitar solo where one guitar is doing like bleeps and bloops in the background. And the other one is just doing this really echoey thing, you know, to quote Mark, to quote whoever chef's kiss. It's, it's a, it's a fantastic moment. Um, uh, this is, uh, this would, this would maybe line up with Exciter as far as like, uh, bangers of the album. Very, very. Uh, Invader definitely to me, the way it starts chugging up and gets going when it gets going, I totally like, I can't help but think of fucking the game full throttle and the pole cats. Sure. And just, uh, <laughs> save it for our wild yeah. hogs, uh, viewing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the wild hogs, but this song definitely has a, a movement to it that makes me feel like uh, I'm, I'm sitting right there with uh, somebody that can actually ride a motorcycle. I've never ridden one. Uh, maybe I should ask Mark's dad all about it. But um, <laughs> before before we talk to him about uh, his his motorcycle, what do you think about this track, Mark? My dad did show up at my work one day wearing leather chaps, and I was like <laughs> on his on his wild hogs. It was the saddest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Um, but invader, uh, I, to me, it is uh, war of the worlds, no doubt. Um, our friend of the show and dearly departed, ah, Orson Welles would have uh, enjoyed this song. The French, <laughs> ah. um, uh, one thing that really stands out to me on this track is the great symbol work during the chorus. Um, Who's the drummer on this record? Uh, it's Masan Masan. <laughs> what? It's it's Masan Masan. What is that? What, what is that? What do you? Uh, the, the Shaka when the walls fell. Like what are you saying? <laughs> it's uh, it's from that Orson Welles commercial, I think. Oh yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> That's right. Oh, frozen peas. Anytime, anytime I can't understand Steve, it's always Shaka when the walls fell. God, uh, my my, I'm gonna actually, I'm going to pay the guy that did the voice of the brain uh, to do a cameo where he does the Shaka when the the walls fell thing for us. Uh, spring uh, in the pea those- fields. <laughs> For for those that are uninitiated, I just I don't understand. Hold, hold on a second. Now, what what does that mean? They're speaking in metaphors. This is <laughs> absurd. <laughs> speaking in metaphors doesn't make any sense. It's not springtime in the pea fields. You said it was winter. 
<laughs> um, anyhow, so uh, I'm sure our listeners are Googling right now what the fuck we're talking about, but it's out there. Um, uh, but this song, uh, got some really good guitar stabs through the verse of, um, and yeah, got driving momentum. Um, I feel like this album or this, uh, this episode is going off the rails as it gets later and later. So we better move on. (laughs) That is good stuff. Um, yeah, I know this, this song has great storytelling to it. Um, and there's some really anthemic noodling around the two minute 10 mark that, uh, it's right before they shift gear in the song and start driving even faster. Um, yeah. And a ton of, of Jews priest songs are about the fight. What is that fight? I don't know. It can be anything and it could be fighting aliens. It could be fighting the other polecats. And uh, we, they have a lot of like, we won't give up until we fight until the end tracks. And this is another one of them. And uh, I, I, I like Rob's just, Rob Halford defines the us against the world attitude really well, as as well as any other vocalist can. Let's go to track six. If we're in the vinyl world, it's side two. A fantastic song with a fantastic title. Saints in hell. No, you don't really mean every July. But that's a that's bad copy. It's in July. Of course it's every July. Too much directing around here. Sorry. What? Could I have just one more take of that? Story? Why? I just did it right. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I'm not used to having more than one person in there. One more word out of you and you go. Is that clear? Yes, sir. I take, well, I take directions from one person under protest. But from two, I don't sit still. But who the hell are you, anyway? You know, I'm the engineer. Well, why the hell are you asking me for another one? Well, I thought there was a slight bonk, and I would like, just like to be safe. Jesus. What is a gonk? Do you mind telling me what that is? A bang from outside. A bang from outside. Norway. Fish fingers in Findus, Norway. We know a certain fjord in Norway, near where the cod gather in great shoals. Shaka. When the walls fell. Zina at Anzo. Zina and Bakar. Darmok at Tanagra. Shaka. Um, so on this track, I can see some of the similar singing style of, um, Ozzy Osbourne and Rob Halford. With that said, Rob Halford is a better singer. Uh, you, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and just put my, my chips on that. Um, I think most people would agree with you. Here, here. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, sounds like Ozzy. He does not, he sings, but nobody wants to sing like Ozzy. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. 
Because this song does sound like a Black Sabbath song, um, and I mean that in, like with with compliments. Um, but it just shows how great Rob Halford can really hit that range of notes. Um, just uh, I, note I will I will save my comment till my turn. But I just just comment and you're sure. saying that it was sounds like a Sabbath song. I do. It's my only note on this entire album that anything sounds sludgy that like there's a sludgy riff which i think applies to sabbath more than judas priest in general yeah um this song does have some really good headphone action um during the we are the saints in in the fire um but yeah it's a solid track um it's got that really um infectious guitar groove that's um pretty much permeating throughout it and uh just a very well manicured song, I guess, is what I what I would say. Well manicured. It's a great way. Well to manicured. Describe. Everything's in its right place. Everything it's, is so like precise on this yes. record. And I, I don't. It's it's funny you say that because KK Downing even said on a lot of their albums he would plan his solos. He would like say, "All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this, that, the other thing." And then when he comes in here, I'm going to do this, that, and this, that. On this one, he said he did a lot of the solos uh, improvisational. He just came in and he just like let the music just take be his guide. And it's pretty amazing which how uh how you know crafted it all sounds. Uh this song was written by Halford KK Downing and Glenn Tipton. And Eric the Saints are in hell and how do you feel about them? Love it. Absolutely love it. Um yeah, this is a uh Oh so it's it's another epic battle song. Um, it's about uh, essentially like you know saints descending. So these heavenly saints descending, angels descending into hell to fight this this bloody, terrifying battle to free the souls. Um, uh, if you go on to which I you know listeners, this is a little look at how the sausage is made. Uh, I do enjoy Lyric Genius to get some stuff, and there's not a lot for this album on Lyric Genius, but this particular song had a link to somebody's blog where they mentioned that there's a lot more going on in this song past Saints Fighting in Hell, and there's a whole website dedicated to what's going on in that song. So start at Lyric Genius and go from there. I do not see that. This is just an epic battle of saints freeing hells freeing hell's souls um but god damn it w- once again you've got rob halford's very picturesque lyrics fetch the scream eagles unleash the wild cats set loose the king cobras and blood-sucking bats and then uh there's a little french for you uh uh for you uh francophiles out there abattoir abattoir mon dieu which means uh, slaughter, slaughter, my God, how awful. Um, and uh, for a time, it was uh, it was like a second hell. Great, great line right there. Um, but li- but really, if you're listening to it for for a, the uh, the sludgy riff, gives way to wake the dead chorus, which uh, should kick you in the pants if you're if you have. Uh, blood in your veins. God damn it. And then the epic storytelling, it, it feels like Lord of the Rings book on tape. And I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. Um, there is a riff after the second chorus leading into the third verse that uh, it sounds like that train in back to the future three, when doc Brown throws the last combustible into the, 
into the uh, the, uh, the 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 oven there. It's it, it <laughs> exactly picks up. What you're talking yeah. about. Well, fantastic! Yes, this is a. You are correct. They, uh, Juice Priest, they they among other things also are really good at writing songs about preparing for battle or preparing for uh, something big's coming. Get ready for it. That kind of thing. They, Rob knows how to present that, the enormity of what you're about to go through. Uh, this song has uh, some opening drum kicking that just I, I love, and uh, the way Rob delivers that uh, they laughed at their gods and fought them in vain. He, the way he carries out the words gods and vain uh, is, is, is just awesome with the soaring power. He starts wailing saints in hell. And it's the drums are pounding and he just keeps repeating it. And it just drifts off into the distance. I love it. So it's, it's, it's an awesome song. It's, it's got a different tempo than the rest of the songs in the album. It's, it's a interesting one. You can definitely, like I said, this album is, I think, immaculately produced. And also, none of the, the you can tell it's all the same band. Some songs might have about the same BPM, but none of it ever becomes boring. I don't think any two songs sound so alike that you get bored of them. Not and, at all. Yeah, Saints in Hell, I think, sounds very unique to the rest of the album. And that'll take us to track seven by K.K. Downing and Halford. Savage! convinced that the Disney film released in the early 90s, Pocahontas, had a very similar song called Savage, or Savages, um, and it's about, instead of the uh, European colonizers talking about uh, Native Americans, it's more about how, in this song, how they were Native Americans were treated by those European colonizers. Um, it's the point of, of view of the native who has suffered, and um, it's a good take. It's a good take, you know. Um, it's certainly as Judas Priest come from merry old England, who were doing a lot of the colonizing back in the day. It's good to see that they are taking a little ownership of the monarchy and the empire that they themselves came from. And uh, tip of the hat, uh, rather than a wag of the finger to that, and um, really suggesting that the modern man is, you know, the more primitive one by just essentially um, conquering those that they feel are inferior to them. And um, in terms of the song itself, solid. I really more focused on the lyrical content. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, that's Savage. I mean, I'll let uh, you guys describe musicality of it all, but uh, I think it's a... It's good. I, I, instead of... I'm always rooting for the underdog, right? And to see them take that point of view and their perspective, it's always appreciated. And I feel that that does happen quite often in metal music. Punk music, certainly. Um, you know, giving a voice to those that uh, essentially aren't as out in the forefront. So good for them. Little history lesson as well. Yes. And, and definitely in the metal genre, I think uh, punching up is what they typically try to do. Um, and yeah, on this one, you know, it's, it's interesting that the, the, the lyrical content definitely is exactly what you're talking about. It's putting the, the modern man saying the modern man is a savage one. You should, you know, that term that you throw in others, we don't know what you're doing. Um, but it still, it still has an approach of just like a strutting, like, you know, just the, you came to my tribe, da, 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 da. The, 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 the pace of this song still sounds like somebody might be walking down an alley with a crowbar ready to hit somebody upside the back of the head. It's, it, it's telling a song, it's telling a story about some kind of a native land being overtaken by uh, colonizers. But the way the song sounds, it still sounds like uh, Rob Halford in his leather hat is going to hit somebody upside the back of the head. Just the delivery is still very street level to me. Um, and that's after you get past those awesome opening screams that start this song. There are some wailers for the, like the first 20 seconds or guitar riff and just Halford looking for the octaves and uh, it just belting them out. And then he doesn't quite find what he's looking for. So he does it again and goes even higher. It's pretty. I don't have much to say past what Mark said. I don't have a lot of musical notes in here. Um, uh, love what it's about. I mean, Mark just said it perfectly. So as far as politically and, and you know, uh, a Brit having some ownership in how Native Americans were treated um, and still were and still are to this very day. It's awesome. Um, I love the lyrics. Uh, Who gives you the right to come here and tell me? I have to leave this place my home. To you, it's a jungle. To me, it's a kingdom where my people are free to roam. Uh, great. But the best vocal happens is, but you can't, but you can't. That whole that whole part yeah. is just, God damn it, everybody's fucking stand up and throw a Molotov cocktail. It's so fucking good. Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, This song, I don't have a lot of musical notes, but lyrically... If it doesn't get you in the feels, uh, you're an absolute dick. Track eight, the showpiece for the album, I believe. This is uh, one of my coworkers, my metal coworker buddy. We talk about Judas Priest a lot, and this is definitely his favorite Priest song. I think it's many Judas Priest fans' favorite Judas Priest song. Great song title, written by Halford and the drummer Les Binks, who didn't write much for the band. Beyond the realms of death. Washed 
went to court for their uh, their cover of Better By You, Better Than Me, when this is the only song on the album that's actually about suicide. Um, what you have here is a is their emotion, emotional song on the album. Um, it starts, uh, it's the closest thing to a ballad, although I will say it's got a drive to it. Um, and uh, you can stomp your foot to it, so it never feels like like you're lost in the ether on this song, even though the character is. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, there's some emotional 12-string work on the guitar. Halford is doing his most subtle during the verses, although he's not afraid to show off during the choruses, as he has earned the right. Um, and... Uh, what you have here is a song. Um, I guess one could call it a power ballad. I would not begrudge somebody from calling it that, although I think that that slights it a little bit. It's a beautiful song um, about somebody that has created a dissociative uh, mental state to escape to when they're depressed until they eventually want to just exist there, which they believe the only way to do that is through suicide. Um, and the song, you know, lyrics like, withdrawn, he'd sit there, stare blank into space. No sign of life would flicker on his face until one day he smiled. It seemed as though with pride, the wind kissed him goodbye. And then he died. Um, and then the guitar goes, it's, it's a very classic, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun, which you could probably name 50 80s, uh, hard rock songs that do it, but they do it the best. It's 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 very effective. Um, and there's a great solo that happens somewhere in there where they capture the background melody, uh, and and it's cool because they only hit that melody once a measure for about ten measures, and then they lock into it a little bit more every time until they're just playing along with the background melody, and it's 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 glorious. Um, this song is a absolute highlight, I'm sure. Uh, you guys will talk about it more than me, but uh, what a good time. Lyrically and thematically, you're dead on. Uh, there is kind of an anti... I mean, it's a sad song. And it is kind of anti-death, I guess. Um, but 
That reminds me that the next track actually talks a lot about how uh, it kind of goes into like, uh, why do the good have to die young kind of thing? And between this and that, yeah, I don't think these guys are trying to get anybody to uh, kill themselves. So it's uh, the, the song definitely reminds me of a theme that I always a theme that fascinates me. And it's kind of a fear I have. I used to have a lot of problems with um, sleep, uh, not apnea, sleep, uh, paralysis, paralysis. I cannot talk tonight. Paralysis. And I'd wake up in the middle. I'd try to wake up in the middle of the night and I couldn't wake up all the way. But like my body could like tell it was still sleeping, but my body wanted to wake up. And it was like I was trapped in my own body. Worst goddamn feeling in the world. Doesn't happen as much anymore, but it used to happen to me a lot when I was younger. And I would always find that songs like this that talk about somebody kind of being trapped in their own body or Metallica's one. Uh, that theme fascinates and terrifies me. And uh, in this one, he gets the release he was looking for, and they put it very poetically, I believe. Um, it starts out like a ballad, but then those choruses have the, the guitar blasts. And there's two guitar solos in it. One's by Glenn Tipton, and the second one's by K.K. Downing. I was actually able to track down who did each one. And those two guitar solos are amazing. They are... They're right up there with my favorite guitar solos by Slash. And Slash is probably one of my favorite guitar soloists. And they kind of have that just grandiose but still rock and roll vibe to them. And uh, I, I could, I could like, those guitar solos make me feel like my mind is traveling through the cosmos, which I think is the what they wanted to give this song. I mean, the title, Beyond the Realms of Death, that's a pretty, that's a grandiose title there. There, there's some kind of uh, uh, mental travel going on there. And I think the guitar solos actually do a great job of conveying that. Um, and there's some sick, sick, sick drum work on this track. And uh, again, that drum production is really coming out there. You can really hear a high hat, high hat being worked at times. Uh, the guitar tone on those guitar solos is great. The, the production is just it's right up there. And uh, I, I, they do all of this quite loud, quite loud, quite loud. And they hand it back to Rob for the, uh, you know, beyond the realms of death. Again, closing the song with the song title. In the mix, there's plenty of uh, whammy bar work by KK Downing, which I love. And I also love Mark Branstad, who hasn't said a thing yet. I forgot to talk to him. So, Mark, how do you feel about this track? Um, it's solid. I mean, uh, I have a sneaking suspicion just based on the notoriety of uh, this song. It's uh, it's power ballad. It's an epic song for for Judas Priest. Um, it seems to be a a staple in their live set. But I would say that this would probably be akin to their um, Stairway to Heaven. I could be wrong in that assessment, I, but that's just kind of how I feel about I it. I feel it. I can see it. Okay. Um. Thematically, you know, you guys had talked about how the song describes a man who suffers from depression and turns into like a catatonic depression and eventually kind of dies, uh, either whether by his own hand. Um, I mean, kind of looking at what Rob Halford was struggling through, you would think that him just having to deal with being in the closet and... Um, not being able to fully realize his own personality and who he is and 
have his own people around him be comfortable with that. It's possible that it could have been like uh, a subtext to what's discussed here. Um, But for me, it likens it back to um, the themes that you find on the wall. Someone who just gets so severely depressed and has a nervous breakdown and really shuts themselves off from society. You don't really see how um, the wall plays itself out in terms of um, does that character actually commit suicide or does he um, just self-destruct in some way that kind of alludes to on this record? I, I do actually think that um, uh, this song, um, there is a finality to, I guess, the perspective of the uh, experience of what's going on here. Um, anyhow, uh, if the wall was a metal album this would fit right at home on there uh even the guitar solo the tone of it uh it does remind me of dave gilmore's playing and i think that dave gilmore himself would raise his eyebrows at this one with uh being impressed by it all um it's a very very uh mature song that takes you places uh it's it's a great track It, it it probably is um, my favorite one off the record, uh, just because of all of the dynamics that it gives you. And um, they definitely were shooting for the rafters and having Les Banks, the drummer, uh, be the one to uh, pick up the guitar and come up with the riff with the guitar turned upside down, apparently. Um, you know, it's saying that everyone in the band was contributing in, in any which way possible. So it's pretty cool. Taking us to the final track of the album, but not the final track we'll talk about tonight. We're almost done talking about Judas Priest for the night. But the last track off Stained Class proper is Heroes End. that uh, essentially are just looking at song titles and trying to like, uh-huh, you see, you see, this is a, another one that's about suicide because a hero's end is, you know, you're killing yourself and, you know, all that stuff. 
Um, but if you look at the lyrics, I mean, it essentially is talking about these fallen legends that went well ahead of their time. If anything, it's an anti-suicide song or yeah. an anti-death song. Um, you got it. <laughs> It has nothing to do with suicide or death. Uh, it has to do with the fact that um, these three fallen legends, apparently, uh, why did these people have to die before they were recognized? Because posthumously, these people are um, mythologized to the point of like being like Paul Bunyan at this point in our popular culture. Um, it would have been wild to see like Janice, Jimmy, James Dean, uh, Jim Morrison... Um, anyone else in that in that time frame that just went well beyond uh, that, that could have lived for a long and fruitful career, but unfortunately they didn't. Um, but anyways, Heroes End, good way to end the, the good way to end the album, and it essentially exemplifies that not everything is surface level. That um, with this band, not everything because it's considered heavy metal has to be so preconceived with death and making them feel like you know the only way uh through this pointless life is to just accelerate the end it's not like that at all it's about embracing life it's about enjoying life and it's about leaving your mark on life and making it interesting for others and yourself so there you go good way to end the album and for those that uh only look at this in a way looking for ways to think that well every metal band is satanic at that time it just really does seem like it's the dark ages and uh good for them good for them for for doing what they're trying to do in order to push the culture forward if you listen to this song you will literally know exactly who rob's singing about every verse the uh, like i said he paints a picture and uh, it's great. Um, and it is life affirming. Mark is absolutely right. It is uh, It is a shame these people died. They had so much more to tell. And uh, it's, it's, it's a life affirming song. It's, it's, uh, it, is, it is pretty positive as far as metal goes. I, I really do appreciate that. And I may makes me think that Rob, you know, Rob had Rob Halford has a zest for life. And um he had his struggles clearly uh but um and he's not afraid of the dark, but at the same time uh there's so much to do with life. Uh that that's kind of his mission statement. And uh there's a lot of battles to fight and you can't do that if you're dead. Uh, so I do love I do love his uh, positivity in the song, and there is a also equally life affirming guitar solo after the second verse in this particular track. It's great, and that's all I got to say about this this song. But it's a cool closer. All right, it is the closer of the album, and uh, typically I think we rate the albums before we do any bonus tracks. But on this one, I want to talk about the bonus track, then we'll rate it. The bonus track is from 2001. Uh, the version we listened to all had was the remaster from 2001. And it has this track on it called Fire Burns Below, which originally was from the 1988 album uh, Ram It Down, or, or rather it was from those sessions. So they recorded it in 1988. They didn't put it on the album. And then about uh, 12 years later, 
they released it on the remaster re-release of Stained Glass. Fire burns below. industrial drums i mean come on take me away rob you've got uh, uh lyrics like don't say it's over when you you and you and i both know you can't put out this love the fire burns below it's 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 the uh sexiest song on this album even though it's the bonus track it's the only love song on this album uh, uh as done uh what 10 years later um it is a uh a song where uh, it's uh, calling out the fact that uh, when you sometimes love somebody, it feels like your crotch is on fire. And <laughs> that is the song. Uh, but it is fun. And it does show you that, yes, Judas Priest rolled with the times. And when, when metal found synths and became more radio friendly, they could do that, too. But because they're all extremely good musicians, the cringe factor is not very high on this song. I think it's pretty enjoyable. I, I enjoy Fire Burns Blow. Uh, Mark, something tells me you like this song because it, to me it sounds like it belongs in Top Gun. Uh, when I see when I when I listen to this song, I picture a silhouette of Tom Cruise and that lady from <laughs> Top Gun. Uh, Kelly Preston, you betcha. Yeah. Um, so this song is incredible, uh, <laughs> absolutely incredible. I, I will. It, it starts out like a song used for a sex scene in an '80s action movie. Um, <laughs> in my mind, uh, this is the song that John Connor was conceived to in the first Terminator movie. <laughs> yeah, that works. That, that checks out. Um, of course, by Kelly, Kelly Preston, you meant Kelly McGillis. Oh fuck me! All right, you're right. You're right. Um, Kelly McGillis, never seen from again after fucking Top Gun. Um, those reverb drums, uh, they were recorded on a separate hillside, or they're probably just not even like real drums. They're probably like... Uh, Eric earlier had talked about taking that uh, uh, recording class at American River. I took that same class, and we did have to um, mic up not only a real drum, 
What was the uh, Dynacorg? Uh, the Dynacorg. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, those are all over fucking 90s action movies and 80s movies. Yeah. Good job, Eric. Oh, man. Me and like my the guy that we did the final together, we never did lab hours. And so the final, we fucking botched it. It was great. But to go back to this song so good uh you got the atmospheric synths and that guitar tone and slash solo uh to that top gun reference it's perfect for watching fighter jets fly over a sunset over the ocean um the song is incredible i love it <laughs> yeah this uh this song is fun and you know that guitar that like it also kind of said like yeah it sounds like john connor is being conceived but also Parts of the song could sound like you know you got home after your partner just got killed in an action movie. It's, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, Riggs is back at the RV. Yeah. God damn it! Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, definitely, it is such an '80s action movie vibe. It's great. It's perfect for what it. Uh, it, it does not fit on the album. It's it's a bonus track, but I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna call it. This is probably the best bonus track we've ever listened to, in my opinion. I just. Yeah. I was just like, this is just, this is a meal unto itself. Uh, <laughs> when I, when I first heard it, um, cause you were like, guys, you have to make sure you listen to the remastered of stained class because there's a song on there that we got to talk about. And, yeah. um, that did not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> I'll listen to that just because I'm in the mood for it now. I'm just like, let's see what fire burns bellow. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, that, that definitely is hitting some playlist i'll tell you that explore explore ram it down and in turbo and you find more (laughs) songs like it and you know and rob you know rob still his voice is great on it he he has a more it's a more subdued register but it's still very rob halford and he's got like this like sexy tender rocker vibe i mean they could have tried to like you know if you were to like you know dumb this down a little it could have totally been like a phil collins or robert palmer song but uh yeah the juice priest pulled it off they really did fantastic all right let's let's rate this thing um in the writer's room i was thinking about let's let's expand to doing a one out of ten but you know why did we've been doing fives let's just stick with fives is everybody fine with that yeah i'm fine i when i when i uh scored it i was basing off of up to five anyways so all right yeah all right so staying class juice priests album Eric, what do you give this one? All right. So if I was if I was rating this objectively as a uh, uh, just what is on the wax, this would be a five out of five metal album for sure. But because I'm not uh, uh, because there is a mood for that, you know, uh, I may drop it down a, a half point. But it deserves every single ounce of that five. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of five. Um, once again, only dropping because of my own my own issues, not the album itself. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're, I'm, I'm used to your issues usually ruining sure, things. Sure. Right yeah, yeah, exactly, but, exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I would I would say that this album, it, you know, I, I think it goes beyond the realms of death, and it goes beyond the realms of metal. It's a very metal album, but I still think that it could appeal. I mean, they didn't 
they didn't become arena filling band that you know because they were just total only appealed to metal heads they were a they are a four quadrant band that happened to kickstart metal but that's fine i understand your point uh mark what do you got um initially i gave it a 4.0 um but i think uh over time after because i did listen to this record probably a good six seven times in the last couple weeks and it kept growing on me uh so i bumped it up to a 4.25 with a higher ceiling i think that um, this could be either a 4.75 record but i actually do want to compare it to some of their more uh, essential records as you were kind of pointing out that they have a really really great track record of just good quality records um and I don't think that you believe that this is their best record by any means. Um, and I want to see what that one is. So 4.25 for me. Uh, there's not really any, any detractors on the album itself. I think every song is um, good, while some are actually great. Um, I didn't find one that was just like a slog. It, um, yeah. This record went down super it easy. It won't bore you. Has ton- yeah, it has tons of groove, has tons of melody. Um excellent production work um and the only thing that could be off-putting would be rob halford singing if you're just not like into that style but um he's good at what he does he is good and if not great and so that'd be the only thing for those who are wary of this genre of music um as it does you know get that operatic singing style that high tenor um but good it's real it's 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 solid it's a solid work yeah that's the uh that was the problem with juice priest is trying to pick an album there's too many good ones there's more much more very good than than bad and even the bad is never bad it's just you know even when they're boring they're still good um and yeah i i cycled through a few albums and i just for whatever reason i felt like because the year this came out and it was kind of a watershed album and the songs are all great for the most part. I stuck with it, but it's not the one I listen to the most. <clears throat> uh, I'll give it a, uh, I'll give it a 4.95. So close to a five. If, if this might've been like, if they only had like three albums and this was one of them, I might give it a five, but knowing judging it against their other records. I mean, I, I, I like I said, sometimes like sin after sin might be my favorite one or uh, even British Steel, one of the most popular ones. Many people think Defenders of the Faith is their best album. It's, it's tough. If you're anything like me, when you get done riding your hog and stomping your boot to some heavy metal music, well, you work up quite an appetite. Well, if that's the case, then I want you to come on down to Judas Feast, your new favorite smorgasbord. <laughs> That's right. What's more appetizing than wall-to-wall chaps and tassels as you come inside Judas Feast? Well, why don't you go on over to the grab yourself a tray and pile up on some delicious food that's been sitting under hot lamps no longer than six hours. Oh, look. There's Pod Like a Whole co-host, big fan of the buffet, Eric Anderson. And he's standing over there at, at Ripper's Rotisserie asking some questions. And look over there, Sandwiches of Destiny, where you can build your own sandwich. Hey, look, there's Pod Like a Whole co-host Steve. Riffs! Riffs! Yeah! 
Oh boy, he's really rocking out. Look what sandwich he's made for himself. Something with Slim Jims in it. Fantastic. Step on over to Pastradamus and slap yourself with some macaroni and gravy. And don't you forget about side dishes. You'll be breaking the jaw on son of K.K. Downing's corn on the cob. Or a big plateful of mashers of the potatoes. When you're done, grab yourself a comfy chair over in the leather garden and enjoy our patented leather forks, spoons, and napkins. But when you're done, don't forget, save room for dessert. That's right, head on over to the Redeemer of Bowls and pour yourself some delicious soft serve. So if this kind of banquet sounds just right after a night of hard rockin', then go to patreon.com slash podlikeahole and enter the code JudasFeast to get yourself a buy one, get one free coupon. That's how Eric and Steve have been eating here since 2002. So, grab yourself a leather spoon and ram it down for Judas Feast. Visit any of our 17 locations. Um, I want to segue into a little bit of further listening, and then we'll roll the dice here. To that, I mean, they have an album called Painkiller, which I think is near perfect. That might be the five out of five album. That was the one that came out in 1990. It was kind of a, like they, they got a new drummer and they really stepped it up and became like a metal metal band, but it still sounds like Jews priest. It's still, the production's great. It's uh, not abrasive. The songs are just tight, but that album I didn't pick for the show because I feel like you appreciate that album more after you hear what Judas Priest was before. I like it, liken it to like the movie or the book Watchmen. Oh, why did I say the movie? The the book Watchmen or the movie, I don't know. It doesn't, if that's, if that's your first comic you've read, you don't understand why it's so good. So you have to, you have to understand the basis for why it's so good before you understand why it's so good. And that's why I would not suggest to anybody to start with Painkiller, but I feel like Painkiller might be their best album. Does that make sense? Completely. Yeah. Okay. That's a good analogy. Uh, uh, yeah. Other, you know, like I said, most of Jews Priest albums, pick any one of them from their seventies, eighties run and you'll be happy with it. But also the modern day Jews Priest, the, their most recent album, Firepower, really, really good. Some might say that's their best album. And there's a weird one that I like called Nostradamus which is a double album concept record that has a ton of keyboards about Nostradamus. Nostradamus, education. Nostradamus is a Nostradamus, our salvation. Nostradamus. fans hate it but i love it for its bombacity and the title track nostradamus is amazing and for whatever goddamn reason when my second son was born this year or i'm sorry last year 
the <laughs> when everybody was asleep in the hospital and it was just me and him, I put that album on and listened to it. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Judas Priest singing about Nostradamus was the first album I listened to when my son was born, but uh, there we are. It's great. Uh, that tracks. <laughs> and one uh, one uh, curio that I think everybody should check out if you're interested at all about all of this phenomenon is check out the documentary Heavy Metal Parking Lot. You can Google it on YouTube. It is a uh, just footage from a Judas Priest and Dokken concert in the 80s of young adults, teenagers hanging out in the parking lot before the big show. And it's just got kids drinking beer and talking about how cool Judas Priest is. And oh, it's awesome. It's yeah, it's very entertaining. It's a time and I, capsule. And I, you know, it is a time capsule, but I'm also I, I think the uh, the electricity of a. Uh, the feeling of gathering before a big show like that when you're a, a teenager or in your twenties in the parking lot, uh, no matter who you're seeing, I think that's a, a great feeling. And I think they capture that uh, tailgating for big raw concerts is a, is a fun time yeah. in my opinion. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, as, as far as how you keep it in shape, I, I, I haven't got a clue. I mean, I, 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 uh, I don't, I certainly don't, drink and smoke and uh, do all the other things that uh, that uh, I, th I think are useful mm -hmm. um, just because of the fact that um, with what I try and do it's it's important to try and uh, look after it and it's a physical part of your being mm -hmm. and um, you just want to be able to to deliver uh, on the night that you're performing and it's the same as all of us in Priest you know before a show KK's warming up, Glenn's warming up, Scott, Ian, everybody's getting ready and practice, practice, practice is a is an absolutely important part of staying on top of your game. Mm. It doesn't get any easier because you're more successful when you have the platinum discs on the wall. That was a wonderful, but the, the proof of the pudding, as they say, is when you're actually live on stage with your fans, whether it's in Japan or Rio or Rome or London, LA, mm. New York. Your fans have waited a year, two years to see you, so you don't want to drop the ball. You want to give them the best show so mm -hmm. no there's no tricks or lotions no or potions teas, or goat right. head soup or <laughs> satanic rituals and none of that <laughs> I do, I do, actually i do have a cup of tea 100 percent. shall we roll All for right. the next show roll the dice all right so i i i I offset it every couple times I, I add the second dice because we still are over 20 episodes left this season, and that's two. Two. talking natural one i thought we were going to do the folk implosion <laughs> yeah. but uh oh, no wish so number two uh we are going back a little bit earlier into the 70s decade um a record that i nominated and apparently hero's end 
um, has foretold of where we're going because we're going to be talking about Jim Morrison and those leather pants. Um, We are going to be doing The Doors record, the last album that they did with Jim, L.A. Woman, nominated by me. Cosmic cosmic discussions lead to these things. People probably think it's rigged, but it's not. I tell you, we talk about these things. I'm not even surprised anymore. Like if you bring up, if we bring up somebody enough on a show, the uh, the dice will respond. Might, it might have been Heroes End. It might have been the leather pants. I, I'm not even sure. I mean, uh, our dear friend Sarab. Um, everything's connected, man. Everything's connected. Um, so I'm excited to talk about LA Woman. Um, I'm, I, I get I'm to keep my leather pants on. I'm excited to talk about uh, Lover Madly's on that record. The, the good one. news is we'll that I can't take my leather pants off easily, so I don't have to worry about that for at least another episode. We'll See, there you go. He's on. Um, we get to walk into the desert like Wayne's World 2. Sure, um, sure. Follow uh, Jim Morrison into the Hyacinth House. And I think we, we should. I think we should watch the movie. We should watch the Doors movie and do oh, 10 minutes on the Doors movie. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Required, and required uh, Oliver Stoneland, where you know they make a Doors ride uh, from the Ben Stiller show. Check that out as well. No, Jim, no. Um, I am looking forward to talking the Doors. And uh, if you really want to get a little bit of extra credit work in, just listeners out there, if you haven't heard the song. The title track off of the soft parade do yourself a favor because we'll probably give that a little little day in court if you will because the monk bought lunch so i thought about that song every week since i was 15 years old (laughs) (laughs) um so this has been mark eric and mr mojo risen And we're going to get into that next time. So thank you for joining us at Pod Like a Whole. And as always, we hope that we brought you closer to Pod.